Iraqi Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, December 22nd, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. A really important moment, I argue, in the development of what's been going on in Gaza. And over the last so many weeks, I think we've really begun to see one of two things. either. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the entire controlled corporate media and plenty of people in power just randomly began telling the truth about Israel. Or there's because, and I think it's because of the the hubris and the belief that no matter what they did, people would continue to buy their narrative because of the actions after the the, the genocide that's been ongoing since October seventh has shaken people free, and people are beginning to see things that they can't unsee. And the other the other possibility would be that the media, as I was saying the other day, sees that. They recognize that their control over at least this conversation, but I argue most everything else as well, maybe not just because of this, but largely, but they see that. They see that you don't believe them. And at some point they have to ask themselves, am I just going to keep towing this line? And I mean, I'm speaking generally, largely about the controlling interests of these companies and then the people pulling their strings from financial and political levels but really just deciding that, well, we have to be able to continue to lie. Or maybe they see it telling the truth or speaking truth to power. Whatever it is, I think it's obvious they've made a choice to begin pointing at this large, completely undiscussed topic that they, I mean, honestly, never have really honestly engaged with. And even still to this point are actively downplaying 90% of what's happening while going, but they're committing genocide, but they are killing civilians, which is jarring for average people to see this shift in the narrative, but it is still, in my opinion, the truth. As always, it's most convincing when people in those positions use the truth to ultimately deceive you. That's usually the most effective way to lie to people. So today we're going to, I think, highlight a lot of those obvious points. And yes, in, in many of the points today, it is coming from corporate media outlets. But the main point to understand we're not telling you this is the truth because the New York Times said so or because the Washington Post said so. We're telling you this is the truth because we've already broken this down. We've already go- shown you the source material that they're now pointing at. 
before this, weeks ago, done our own investigations. And really just as an objective, obvious reality, you can see it for yourself if you've already chosen to look. It's only now come to pass that we're seeing the Washington Post and New York Times and even CNNs begin to show these things to you. Again, and my point in a watered down is the best way for to describe it way. Still admitting an important truth, I would argue. So what we have to really come to our grips with as the average person, especially if you are new to a lot of this and you, this is all kind of jarring to you and you're not sure, you know, which is a good thing, really. It means that you're beginning to see the lies and the control structure. But we need to establish some some facts here that maybe this is new to you. Most of you are already aware of. Let's be honest about the reality that, one, this has always been an illegal occupation. I'm glad that we're finally able to say that without people losing their mind. There are plenty of screaming people online right now that are desperately trying to maintain an old dying narrative, but that's the truth. Always been an occupied territory. Which means under the Geneva Conventions, any occupied entity has the legal right to armed rebellion. That doesn't mean breaking the law during that armed rebellion, but in any armed act against military targets, it's always been protected under international law. So Hamas's act was, in fact, protected. The crimes that may or may not have been committed afterward, and some of them were obviously committed, were crimes. But does not invalidate the legal protected act of the armed rebellion. And during that action, a lot of really terrible things happened many of which we've now proven were conducted by the IDF. You can decide for yourself whether that was deliberate or whether that was in the process of going back and forth, negligence, malfeasance. We then know that there was an active effort to cover up much of that and still going on to this day. Hannibal Directive, these conversations, these are indisputable facts at this point. Times of Israel, Haaretz, individuals speaking on the record who were there saying this, and yet it's still being dismissed. We also then know that there's been an ongoing propaganda campaign and involving some of the most egregious atrocity propaganda allegations and some of which you can, my point right there was whether or not you think they happened, you need to be asking whether or not they were done by somebody other than who you're being told. But many of those things have been proven to be false by groups like Haaretz, by other independent investigations, including people that have been to the screenings they claim show these things and admitted that they do not show those things. It's getting really uncomfortable because of how much it's becoming obvious to the average people. And nonetheless, they're still pushing these really, really uncomfortable lies about some of the worst things people that it's that people don't want to talk about. That's why it's almost kind of a convenient avenue to take because people are, like I said, damn them for making me have to go through and debunk what they claim are rape allegations. Really just showing that there's no proof to back up what they're claiming and there still is not. There is no forensic evidence to back it up. But we also then have to continue to ask the question, was the entire day of October 7th something more than it seems? We now understand facts. They did, in fact, arm, fund, and and. Create is a word people dispute, but Hamas. I've explained why I think it is still a valid term to use in regard to the creation, the impetus of what Hamas is today. Netanyahu on the record saying that that is our strategy, to fund them, to keep them divided, which now we know, and another fact, they've never wanted a two-state solution. It's been a lie. It's been an international uh, community lie spun to justify their actions. This is an undeniable fact. We also have to ask whether the entire event on October 7th was either allowed to happen or they were involved with from the beginning. These are also things that are backed up by a lot of evidence in regard to how many times they were warned, how many times IDF members were telling them, we see this happening, we see that happening. And now we've got evidence from down on that day 
where you have video of people from the October 7th footage speaking in Hebrew, guiding people in direction. I mean, and again, that doesn't have to prove that it's an Israeli asset, but it's still something that begins to open this conversation even further than we thought before. And there's so many other angles to get into the 75 years of brutal, brutal apartheid, oppression, occupation that have been some of the worst stains on humanity that we can. I mean, this is where people are beginning to understand what has really been going on in Gaza. The open secret of human trafficking, the open secret of organ trafficking, the open secret of using human shields, the prison. I mean, guys, I could literally go on forever. And these are things that have been obviously not literally. I hate when I do that. These are things that are facts. And now today have finally become acknowledged by the vast majority of people. And this is kind of where I was going with that is even if, and rightly so, you're questioning why we're being shown this stuff. It does not change the fact that we can prove that this is the reality. So if you think this is Israel or some of Israel's government being thrown under the bus to achieve the next step, don't miss the opportunity to reveal the truth about that entity being thrown under the bus, because I'm promising you that they're not going to let that fall away. I predict that Netanyahu will be the one that is kicked to the side and as they try to act like this is a, a salvageable reality to maintain the ongoing illegal occupation of Gaza, or hopefully this doesn't happen, they succeed in displacing them out of the area and then that's over forever. It'll be an ongoing conversation, but this will be kind of the end of that era. And I hope this doesn't happen because let's realize if you really want to engage with the law, it's all Palestine. But most of the Palestinian resistance, and it's very clear, want a two-state solution. Israel is now making it clear they never have and they don't right now. So all of these things are important for the conversation today. Now, we're also going to get into some of the current developments. And I'm going to start with this right now because I saw this right before we started. Not just the way that they've stated, they, they stated this specifically. Now, I'm going to go over the actual investigation, the article itself. But just to see the way that this is written. Can you ever remember a time where this is this is a New York Times investigation from yesterday? This is the title for the podcast. Visual evidence shows Israel dropped 2,000 pound bombs. That alone, by the way, is very interesting. We get into what that can do. Thank you to um, We Are All Gaza. I think that's what her name is at the moment on Twitter for sharing this with me to, to discuss the actual alarming dynamic of what 3,000. I'll, I'll get to, we'll get to it in a second. How far the blast radius itself can kill and injure and how densely packed this area is, is it's unnerving, but it finishes by saying, this is just the title. Visual evidence shows Israel dropped 2000 pound bombs where it ordered Gazan civilians to move for safety. I mean, yeah, you guys know this. We've already talked about this. You know why? Because it's a fact. It's, very easy to prove. All we're seeing is suddenly the New York Times go, oh, we'll say the thing we can see too. You know why? Because we looked. Read the investigation. Visual evidence shows. The reality is they have known this or they chose not to look until now. Either way, it shows you that the, the willful ignorance of the people in these positions. Something has definitely shifted. I still argue it's for their, it's that right now this truth just happens to be in their best interest where it ordered them to go. We don't really need much else. There is an unbelievable amount of evidence showing this in many other locations, but realize the importance of this. This is much bigger than just we bombed and happened to kill civilians, some civilians in the process of our actions against Hamas. This is, we told you to go to this safe area where we on the record are saying that there's not 
released before, no Hamas there, then bombed the area we told you to go to for safety. Somebody's going to jail after this. I mean, I th- this is the kind of thing where th- with this much momentum, there's no coming back from this. And realize, guys, that we need to, as an the world seeing this for the first time, and this is not about Netanyahu alone. This is not about Ben Gavir alone. This is not about Shmotrich. It's not about any of the religious Zionism coalition alone. This is about the Israeli government, not just the extremist elements of it, but all of it that has allowed what is currently being done to Gaza and what has been happening for a century, where it told them to go. It just really does hit home. Now, we're going to talk about a lot today. Starting off with an important conversation about how Israel seems to have influenced the government, rather the Zionist entities have influenced pretty much. I mean, Whitney and I've talked a lot about how the unit 8200 element has influenced a lot of these startups, like the whole startup nation conversation and how this has been a stated plan from Israel's perspective from a, for a long time, openly stating the, the in, interest of kind of taking over this industry. Now, you don't have to argue there's anything nefarious there. Until you begin to realize that they, on the record many times, arguing that what they're doing is in the sole interest of the Israeli state. And even then, you can say, okay, well, that's fine. They're an ally. But then start realizing how, what's the best word for it? I do argue surreptitious is a good word for it, but maybe you don't agree with that. But how insidious, how far-reaching this is. The idea of 911 call centers with carbine. Wondering... Why it doesn't make Americans uncomfortable that their 911 call center relay stations around the nation are being funneled through a foreign intelligence-ran company? Or we talked about the CTI League, run by a person whose entire career has been dedicated to get the U.S. to go to war with Iran for Israel, which now seems about that that seems to be driving that direction. Or all over the cyber reason, all these different entities tied to the elections, tied to, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then begin to realize that there actually is a bit of a nefarious agenda about what they're trying to accomplish from an Israeli Zionist government level. And Twitter and their verification is being run by a company in that same group. And it really does begin to show you, I think, the larger picture, the octopus, if you will, of all of how this reaches. We're also going to talk about the ongoing development in regard to these breaking stories as we just started with, the idea of the investigations the amount of bombs, the targeting of civilians, the dumb bombs we've already talked about to accentuate the point about how deliberately indiscriminate, if that's not even the best word for it, but this truly is. We're going to talk about the Al-Shifa Hospital and another Washington Post investigation that, guess what, found that they were lying about that. But weirdly enough, none of this seems to stop anything, which really, I guess in other than what the Washington Post going out there and stopping Israel from doing something, what really needs to happen is Israel's government needs to realize that we all see the reality of what's happening and for them to stop murdering people would be the ultimate reality here. But what we need to realize is the groups like the United States and the UK and all the leaders of the rules-based international order are actively allowing this to continue, even though we all see it, even though they know the peoples of almost every country in the world are predominant, I mean, overwhelming majority want this to stop and they don't care. We'll finish today with the the conversation from the UN and really how alarmingly obvious it is. The, the, the countries that they're siding with and what it shows you when they keep acting like the world's on our side. It's really not though. 
You've got tiny little countries and only a few of them that are actively on your side with pretty much anything you're voting for in the UN. And then you stand up and act like only racists and anti-Semites are the ones pushing back. It's an illusion, a desperate dying illusion. Now start, let, let's start with actual, I did have one other point that kind of brings us into the Twitter discussion point. David Knight shared this. I, re- I really do want to connect with David Knight. He has been doing really great work for a while now on this on a lot of different topics. But what's interesting is his break with Infowars and and his willingness to call out what he believes they are and not just him. Now, whether or not you agree with him, it's interesting to see that point and, and, and whether some people that are still loyal to Alex Jones would argue that he is the one that is lying. And it's interesting. And if that's the case, then it seems to implicate, I mean, well, the point is it's interesting to see somebody that was so much on the inside of their circle suddenly start saying this, which he says, watch Alex Jones in 2020. And I made a similar point, by the way, about Israel. Listen to what Alex Jones was saying about Israel after 9-11. Listen to what he's saying now. Now, people have the right to change their minds, but I frankly argue the stuff that he's saying now is right out of the right wing talking points about pro-Israel nonsense. That has nothing to do with the actual reality or the idea of what he says right here. Trump shot is harmless sugar water. Yeah, that's exactly what he said, by the way. Now, yeah, you could argue he was wrong and he corrected that, but it's interesting how these things flow, right? As Donald Trump, by the way, has still yet to actually denounce the obviously dangerous. This doesn't cut it, does it? Deadly doesn't even cut it. These injections that are probably the worst thing that have changed medicine forever. Sort of interestingly enough, so too has the Israel conversation, which again, even saying that out loud makes me go, that feels organized. <laughs> it does. COVID-19 and that whole illusion seems to have changed our perception on the entire medical field. And now Israel's entire engagement seems to have changed our entire foreign policy. Now that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Makes me wonder if that's supposed to be happening, but I just can't disregard that. Nonetheless, what we saw around the pharma companies are true. Just be on guard about how these things will be used against us. But he did say it was sugar water. He wrote, uh, David Knight wrote, this is what controlled opposition looks like. Warn people about vaccines for 20 years, then tell them the mRNA jab is harmless sugar water, that Trump is protecting you from the bad Gates vaccine. Remember that, that was the whole point. It was his special one that was the good one, right? I mean, it's just incredible how people fall for this stuff. Now, this is an 18 minute clip. You can watch it for yourself. But Derek wrote an excellent article that I'm sure is gonna upset a lot of people. He wrote, Dear Freedom Movement, Donald Trump is not a friend of liberty. And it's just kind of shocking that people can't wrap their mind around this. Now, I actively hope you will come to your own conclusions, not just that we think that, so you believe Trump is bad, whatever. It's not as simple as good guy, bad guy, left or right. It's not that simple. There's plenty of stuff that Trump did that I'd say I agree with that. Far more than I wouldn't. But regardless of any of it, I don't think he's an honest person. I don't think he is even remotely what he pretends to be when he's running on the Republican side for president. Mr. Christian Trump, is not, he's none of these things, guys. He's not even a Republican. It's really, it's really funny how we can't see that or who, do, who chooses not to. But his main point is that you don't really, I mean, he wrote about this a long time ago. And I, we, we all kind of had a similar, I'll show you my article that I wrote about this, where Trump the Great Divider. Remember the whole point? Well, certainly seemed to have worked out that way, whether or not it was his intention. But he goes on to just show you some basics. The conversation of Big Pharma, what he did with Alex Azar, what he did with the injection itself, what he did with any number of things. Or how about GMOs? 
right? I mean, he has this issued an executive order to literally streamline GMO regulations, which have only hurt us going forward. By the way, GMOs include things like we're in the injections. Now, specifically, that was in regard to agriculture, but it is an overlap. We're talking about the idea we discussed from insect allies, the GMO self-spreading vaccine conversation, which overlaps with the agricultural side of this from DARPA. But, you know, Trump's the good guy, so we just all shut our eyes to those things, right? Or Trump is actually bad on gun rights. But we don't talk about that because it's not supposed to be like, it's, it's, it's willful ignorance. He's no better than Biden. They're all the same to me, guys. These are all people that are dishonest in their own special ways, designed to just trick one side of the paradigm. The drone emperor, right? Where we realize that he actually took it to a whole new level. It's the same game. He goes off on a lot of different things, by the way. President Kill lists, Chelsea Manning, Julian Assange should be a huge sticking point. But I just hope we can all see beyond the two-party paradigm. You know, the same old thing I've been saying for my entire career. But I do think we're getting some headway in that regard. I think they're, just like every other conversation, pretty damn desperate to keep you thinking that. Now, as we get closer to the election, I'm going to do a lot more election coverage this year than I ever have. Whitney and I have already discussed uh, doing our 2020 election special, or rather, uh, 2024 election special, just like we did with the 2020 election special. I'll show you that at the end. Probably multi-part, just like last time. And don't forget what our conversation we were predicting was the chaos that followed. And that's exactly what happened. It's despite the fact that people followed up like three days later and said, nothing you said came true. Yeah. How is it looking now? And that's not just because the more time you take, the whole thing was about the presidency and the, the air, the time frame, not just the day after 2020. But the point was, we're going to continue to follow up on that. We're going to continue to do more work around the election. Pasta and I are going to do some stuff from a, you know, you know, people that believe the election matters kind of perspective, which I don't. And I know you guys understand my perspective, but I'm open always to the idea that I could be wrong and missing something. So I don't want to just ignore the conversation of the political dynamics. But I think as this gets closer, we're going to see some really interesting things. Donald Trump being, you know, the, whether or not that actually happens, the ballot, it's, it's going to be interesting and chaotic. But we need to remember, I, I think that this is going to come in a way that I think Donald Trump is probably going to pull. This is just, I, guess this, I guess this is a prediction. It, it makes sense to me that Donald Trump is going to do the thing he did last time, which is tap in to the real majority. Let's not forget, and I don't mean the Republican Party or the Patriots even. Let's remember, the largest voting bloc in any presidential election in the United States are people that do not participate. That's what Donald Trump actually tapped into when he ran. And then within the group that actually participates, the largest voting block registers as independent. It's been the same way for a long time. And yet every year we go through the same ritual of pretending that the left and the right meet that demand. It's embarrassing and we all know it and we all pretend like it. And if you don't do it, then you're not an American. Well, how about abstaining from the vote, which is a legal path? We'll talk about that at the end today. But no, you're not even allowed to do that. But I think Trump is going to come out likely and say, maybe. Interesting if this happened, that finally, yes, I do acknowledge the injections are bad, and here's why. And it'll probably end up pointing at somebody else, somebody on the left. That would make sense. And finally, they go, we knew it. He knew the whole time, and he's been working behind the scenes. It'll be whatever makes it seem like not saying it for three years is somehow okay. And then what if he even blames Israel? What if Trump comes out and says Netanyahu's the bad guy, what they're doing is bad, and they're part of the problem with the injections? Wow, that might even convince me. Probably not, but the point is that would reach people just like coming out and saying Federal Reserve, 9-11, lock her up, and then doing none of those things. It's how politics works. He knows that. So as we get into that, 
I will be doing more on that. And I think it's very concerning how this will go. But on that note in general, here's what I wrote. December 18, 2016. The divide of the uninformed. A manipulation of a nation. Now, if you read this, I was actually almost shocked myself how much what I was writing about this in 2016 is pretty much everything that happened. You know, hashtag Alex was right. <laughs> no, really, just that a lot of us were talking about a lot of these things that ultimately ended up happening. And, you know, the other 400,000 people that were also going probably a new world order, probably this, probably digital ID. Yeah, that's, you know, that's how that works. But it's interesting. But you can read through this and discuss all the things that we are dealing with. You know, the idea of using, where was it? I was going to read this one part. Well, I mean, not to waste too much time on this. The real point in my mind, and this is not to insult anybody in particular. It's that that block, that the grouping of people that did not involve themselves before, that is what ultimately got mobilized. A big part of that. Then you got all these people that were suddenly believing that Trump was the savior of everything who have now become wildly politically motivated, but acting like the world started when that began for them and not being truly aware of what at least I believe are the larger dynamics. And of course, I could be wrong. But that's why I said the manipulation of a nation, the divide of the uninformed. And that was both, as I wrote in here, the people that thought, where was it right here? Yelling. It says these are the same individuals screaming at rallies that Trump will end the world. Or conversely, yelling that we need to make America great again with no conception of how that is to be done or what it even means. As if those who have been politically active prior to this new shiny political show have just been sitting on their hands waiting for this amazing slogan to come along and give Americans the insight they've been waiting for. In reality, they're simply parroting what they were told at their chosen pulpit and aggressively defending these falsehoods with no real understanding of the surrounding dynamics and why they have the position they are actually claiming to hold. When confronted with contrasting information, even while attempting to have a civil discussion, these, on either side, are the individuals who quick, quickly get agitated and lash out, throwing out terms like un-American, or conversely, conspiracy theorist. These are the preconditioned responses to any idea that even slightly contradicts their treasured gospel of truth. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the two-party paradigm. And I feel like literally this is what ultimately happened. And I don't know whether Trump knows that or not, but he was definitely used that way. So as I simply wrote, but give me what, give me, what do you think about this? And what do you think about how, where we are and, and what we were predicting and how we got there? Now on that old overall note, Twitter, seen as a sort of a right-wing concept, seen, even though I don't believe any of these things are exactly what we what they're framed them as, seen as a pro-free speech platform. Now, Trump was definitely, you know, pushed off, did his own thing, but he's been let back on. He's not really using it, but it's definitely seen as that. They're all mostly the, the you know, the lawns of the world are seemingly supporting Trump, but we'll see how this goes in the election. For me, it's more so about the agenda itself, whether Trump is even the central role in it or, or not. I really genuinely wonder whether Trump knows that he's being used. I believe he is. or And his hubris won't allow him to point that out. Or he just is part of it or not. Hope we're willing to question that. But Censored Man points out this company, which I believe is Auto Ticks. I think that's how you say it, but it's with a zero. And I'll show you in a second. It's a company that Twitter's using to verify. And it's an, and it is a company that is ran by a former Unit 8200 entity, and it is an Israeli-based company. 
Uh, yeah, it's like it's A U ten T I X, so it's auto ticks essentially. The company's re- responsible for verifying everybody on Twitter. The CEO is Ron Atzum, Atzum, A T Z O M N, and was a member of the Shin Bet Unit eighty two hundred. Unit eighty two hundred being sort of like the NSA Shin Bet, like sort of being analogous to the to the FBI. Unit eighty two hundred specifically is like the NSA. That's what they compare it to. For those who don't know, Shinbet is, is their main intelligence strike force. It's responsible for providing 90% of Israel's intelligence material. doesn't stop there, though. Autotix was founded in 2002 as the technology arm of a Dutch firm called ICTS International. It was established in 1982 by ALSO by former members of Shinbet. Why is the company that X uses to verify its user's ID so connected with the Israeli intelligence unit of Shinbet with a CEO and founder being a former member of that unit? It's a fair question. Now, I, again, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm curious what you guys have done so far. Anytime I see, I haven't yet been confronted with this new verification thing, but I, I see other things about acknowledging some change. I just closed the app, started up again. <laughs> just, at some point, they're going to force you to accept something, and I'm not going to, and I think we're going to get kicked off the platform. But we've been seeing this. And down here, it says, I consent to X and Autotix using my using images of my ID, my selfie, including extracted biometric data to confirm my identity or whatever else they use it for, right? And for X's related safety and security purposes, which means literally whatever they want it to mean, including a person, preventing impersonation or, you know, making fake digital twins of you doing, you know, whatever else they argue is within their security purposes. And it says Autotix may store such data for up to 30 days, which I don't even buy. Like, may, like, you know how easy it is to circumvent something like that? First of all, they lie about this stuff constantly. The data they scooped up during COVID, and they'll never sell it to anybody except the moment they sell it to somebody. And they go, oops, we're wrong. Nobody got in trouble for it. That was the UK specifically, but it happened everywhere. It's just embarrassing how often they lie and how often people just take it at face value because they like a political side they're on. But the frustrating part about this is how about you just take them at face value and they say, no, we'll never store it for more than 30 days. Okay, well, then they just transfer to a shell company that isn't Autotix that they still work with or still even own and they meet that parameter. Even though they still have it, it's just not under their Autotix umbrella. It's stuff like that, guys. If you really believe they're not going to just maintain this information, it's, it's the most naive thing in the world to me. But we'll go over some of this more on the actual platforms. This is just what he was sharing. Based in Israel. Established 82 by Shin Bet and the groups involved. Ron Atman, I'll show you that article itself. Now, what I wrote is Whitney and I have been highlighting this in our discussions for years. You guys know that. This being not just Twitter and their verification, but the startup nation conversation. The idea of having new tech startup companies not just in Israel, and arguably predominantly not in mo- in places like the United States, run by dual national Israeli-American citizens who are former or current members of their intelligence apparatus. Now, you, look, that doesn't have to bother you or make you uncomfortable. I don't know why it wouldn't. I don't know why it wouldn't make anybody... In, in, I mean, it doesn't... Again, I've made, I make this point every time as much as they try to pretend like this isn't true. You know, wink, wink, I'm lying. Whatever they, they pl- whatever they want the truth to be is what they'll just make it. They being anybody lying for the Zionist agenda. The point. Now, of course, then I just lost my train of thought. But the, the idea of the companies being, ah, 
damn it. I hate when I do that. Anyway, the, the larger point I'm making about the unit 8200 concept is that these are, these are entities and oh, and then Whitney and I've been talking about this for years around the idea. Oh, that's what it was. The point just being that any other country or any other country's intelligence apparatus, why would it not make you uncomfortable? Whether it was Germany or Spain or the UK who literally have members, either foreign or current of think of think the CIA, you know, the old saying there is no former CIA who are running national security level in, uh, and uh, companies or entities in the United States that have then the interest that they have are, is first and foremost with their home country. It's not racist to point that out. It's just the reality, the same way an, an, a United States government intelligence entity would. And yet we're told it's racist to make this point, even though we can now begin to see that there's this alarming influence and like the CTI League. And I'll show you more on that in a second. But we've been highlighting this for years and her work goes back a long way. It's pervasive. And her work on this goes back long, I think, long, I think even before... I'm pretty sure before 2020 as well. And I, I wrote, we recently discussed this exact point. This was with the CTI League. I, I recommend you listen to this. She's been doing excellent work on this in particular. And this, this is the Cyber Threat Intelligence League. And this is the entity that is behind, the guy leading this company is some in the same exact boat, who is somebody who has been championing the idea of getting the United States to war with Iran on behalf, in the interest of his, the Israeli government. And as we said, it's impending false flag as they're the ones going, it's coming and Iran is going to be responsible. And on that note, actually, I don't think I. Oh, no, I think I might have included it here. Anyway, the, I, the point. Yeah, I don't think I included it that I wanted to just point out here on that note is that right now we're being told that guess what? Wink, wink, Iran is the one working with the Houthis to fire on these ships. They're the ones actually aiming for them. Oh, who says intelligence says anonymous intelligence says. Oh, right. So it's interesting how the intelligence sources say whatever helps manufacture consent for their agenda. That's always how this works. Now, it doesn't mean it's false, but it's just amazing how often we can be told flat lies that we can just look up or later turn out to be obvious lies. And we don't really question that. A lot of people don't. They're the ones telling you Iran's the one. And you can clearly tell that this is about to be led. We're being led by the nose into the agenda like always. And then add this to the conversation. This is from Human Rights Watch. Meta, Facebook, is systematically censoring pro-Palestine content. A thousand plus cases from 60 different countries since October 7th, including 100 plus each of content removals, account suspensions, inability to engage content, literally controlling the conversation. And it started after October 7th. You can, this is the exact point. This is because there is influence. Somebody leaned and they responded. And this is the whole point of why this is so concerning. As this is their report, systematic censorship of Palestinian content. This is the Human Rights Watch. Again, doesn't mean that you should blindly believe them, but it means these are groups that typically had the support and the blind belief of all the people currently telling you're wrong about Israel as they're now beginning to point these things out. And now because they don't say the right thing, now they're all Hamas. But 30 seconds ago, you were telling us we had to listen to them or we were racist. Now suddenly they're racist. Isn't that funny how it just works? When, throw whatever you want at the wall, see if it sticks. So knowing that we have a, a unit 8200 company who is verifying for Twitter 
and is going to be able to arguably control who is accessed, who is censored, who is allowed to have reach kind of things. And I, I promise you it's more than just this company. And you can see the influence on other social media platforms. And we can prove that Twitter is, be, people are being censored. It is very clearly happening. I do know that uh, somebody, Lucas Gage, for example, was recently censored. Now, I haven't seen what they claim was said. And so not, I, I'm not sure what the actual tweet was. But again, my, my point is the, the same. Censorship is censorship. The, if it, you, I guess the argument was a, a call to violence. But let's realize if, that, if he said, go kill that person. Well, that is technically a violation of explicitly their terms of service. Whether you agree with it or not, or whether you think it's free speech, it is listed as something you're not supposed to do on this platform. But we know that saying from the river to the sea, they literally just call genocide, even though it's not. And even though clearly it's the opposite of what they're saying in the case of the two state solution. And we can see Israel government saying it openly all the time. And people say it on Twitter every day in regard to Israel. And it's not a problem. It's it's wildly it's obviously a double standard. But I think it's going to get to a point to where we are being shut down in regard to what we're able to say and what we can engage with when it matters most. Now here, which I guess just more of this was enough, it defund Israel now as a platform showing you the same stuff. Oh, and well, I, I trailed off on that. The point was that uh, Lucas Gage shared something that he got him censored. Now, again, if he was calling for direct violence, well, that would be in regard to the platform. But my point is simple. Just because it is offensive Call it offensive. Call, call him a disgusting human being if you want. But if you remove it based on the fact that it's a statement that's not allowed anymore, well, that's censorship, no matter how you spin it. If you believe in free speech, it means allowing the most detestable speech. But obviously, that's not what's happening. So look, if you believe what they did is right, well, then just be honest. Be like, look, I don't believe in free speech. I believe in limited speech, right? I mean, and even if you really want to make that point a fine point, if you are, if you believe that, fire in a theater. If you believe that that is the right thing and you're not allowed to say that, well then right there, you believe in limited speech. And look, I, you may even, you can argue that's right. I mean, I, even myself, you, I could, if there's a fair argument to be made about how that could have put people at risk. But if, my point is that the hardest choices, the most important choices are never simple. You just have to hold a hard line on that. You have the right to say what you want. Other people have the right to act how they want to act. I, by saying one thing does not mean you have to act a certain way. But again, there is a fair argument to be made about why that's been something we've always stood by. But free speech is absolute. It's time we start making these kind of stances. But here's Facebook again. Unbelievable. He says, I'm in a Facebook discussion with an old friend from Japan about the U.S. bombing of Tokyo. Completely, it's not even related. He's saying he grew up in the city on the site that was first bombed. He said, I was, in, I was in there writing this, and he was censored in real time by Facebook. This is the level it's getting to. He's, this is what he said. Have you visited the museum to the bombing? They have a huge map there that shows every spot that was hit, which is where Alan and I confirmed that the hangar in the ICU was hit. They literally stop him while he's typing, and it says, your comment looks similar to the content we're removed for going against our standards. You can delete it now to avoid potential accounts... I think th this is the kind of, you know, you're on timeout. You could think about what you posted until, and when you remove it, we'll let you back on. Instead of just going, that violates our service, then that's deleted and you have one more warning. That is just regulation. What this is, this is social engineering. This is about 
manufacturing and, and, and conditioning you to act a certain way. Next time you go, oh, wait, I'm going to wait and rethink about this before I even start because that's training you to think a certain way. Now, here's Autotix. Formerly, as we said, of this IT, uh, ICT, ICTS International, which was founded by Shin Bet and the people involved, based in Israel. It was founded in 2002. Where was it? Uh, oh, I think this, this wasn't the most important one. Here is what I think is the most important. Here is Ron Adams. I just want to show you that to point out that it's based in Israel and it is a it, ID verification service and the ties to this company itself. But here is his LinkedIn, Ron Atzman. And just, just to show you clearly that it's, it's not a secret, but I'm just giving you all the tools to be able to look at it, prove it yourself. He started in Israeli Navy in 1992 and interestingly leaves out some of the most important parts in this background on his LinkedIn. But first of all, and I'll show you this directly from Times of Israel, here is the uh, Mint Press News article that discusses this. He, the uh, Autotix founder and current chairman, Ron Atzman, served in Shin Bet's notorious Unit 8200, but also the company's leadership, not just him, is also packed with former Israeli soldiers. Autotix vice president, and but by the way, the interesting part to think about is it's that's actually far more common for an Israeli because they pretty much force almost everybody to go through the military. And it's very rare. Even the argument of the possible idea between school and I, I it seems like that's not even as valid as it once was. And the point being that most everybody ends up going through the military and then you're pretty much a reservist. And so in, in a sense, you're always part of these you know, military target to some degree. And that's, that's by Israel's design. Sort of like a gigantic human shield, right? But it says, Auto 6 Vice President of Product Management near Stern served as, as in the Israeli Air Force. The vice president, research and development, worked in the Israeli military as an engineer. The company's general counsel worked as an Israeli military captain and worked at the five years at Ilbit Systems, Israel's largest weapons manufacturer. The vice president of sales and autotics. Uh, so basically, ever most of the leadership are all directly from military. And Lior Umuna also worked for the 8200 alumni. Here. Is a Lebanon outlet saying Ron Atman, founder of Autotix, spent his military service with the Shin Bet, notorious unit 8200. And he goes on to more background and discussing this. And it's very clear. And the most important is the obvious article that was written. And this is from Times of Israel from 2018, talking about like the tech techniques they learned from the unit 8200 and whether or not it's necessary for this field. And so the point they're making, this feels a little bit like trying to kind of water down this conversation. But main point of the article is it's going in here saying, no, they don't need to be from this unit. And really, it's not even they themselves don't even think it's necessary. The bottom line is admitting that this is the case of the six they're discussing founded by 8200 unit 8200 alumni. There are two that were established within the past decade. And let's talk about those. This one, as you can see, is the guy we're talking about. Interesting statement he makes here, by the way. Saying as a kid in Israel, there are no boundaries. You can do what you want. I think people are finally beginning to realize that. Israel is organized chaos, so the culture raises people to think outside the box. Autotix is a company that provides technology that's used to detect forged documents. This is Ron Atzman, managing director of Autotix. So just to be very clear. Yes, he came from the United 200. Yes, he is part of the intelligence apparatus, and I think that's a very important point to make. Now, Whitney's discussed this many times. Long This, this one was in March 10th of this year. 
the CIA Mossad-linked surveillance systems that have been quietly installed throughout the United States. There's so many of these aspects, guys. Now, again, it doesn't have to mean that every single one of these things are suddenly compromised and every one of them, but it is all there should they need that to be pushed on. And I'm talking about the Zionist government and the intelligence apparatus, as we've already seen. During Trump's administration, they were caught putting spy devices on the White House, and we don't care about that. It's obvious what's going on here. And why all these entities seem to be selling out their own interests in order to maintain a lie that everybody sees through right now. Biden being chief among them, even though they've all meekly started kind of shifted sides, but to, you know, 1% over. Yeah, they're breaking the rules, but not like you're all saying too late. You allowed 70 days of genocide and only now you're half saying the truth. It's not going to work. But surveillance systems, 911 call centers, all sorts of overlapping intelligence and technological. I mean, even getting into the Pfizer COVID-19 conversation. Pfizer's lab, right? Israel was acutely involved in exactly what this was, including the fact that we can talk about any number of peripheral points that show you this. We got over in depth in that conversation, but here's the big, here's the point that comes to you know bring it back to Trump and the election. Cyber Reason announces a new plan to accelerate access to U.S. government networks ahead of 2020 election. And guess what? A cybersecurity firm. Cyber Reason, tied to Israel's intelligence unit 8200 that simulated a series of terrorist attacks occurring in the U.S. 2020 election, has announced the high new hire with deep ties to the U.S. intelligence and defense communities with the goal of gaining greater access to U.S. government networks. This Cyber Reason, this is these are all, you know how long this has been building? And now, weirdly enough, we're coming into an election kind of on the heels and continuing through what they're doing in Gaza. What do you, and, and should they need this to be chaotic to hide what's going on? What do you think they can make happen? Watch as this plays a central role. Now, Whitney's talked about this for a long time. Cyber reason, a front for Israeli military intelligence, which, by the way, has access and influence over your election. You know, the broken, cheated, illegitimate election it already is. But nonetheless, a lot of Americans don't know that. Simulating the cancellation. Isn't that interesting? Now, that was talked about in 2020, right? But everybody right now, more prominent than I've ever seen it, is talking about whether or not we're even going to have an election in 2024. So just because they simulated it before 2020 does not mean that is where this was planned, if you think that's what this is. Very concerning. Now, we talked about this in 2020, the election special, pre-planned 2020 election chaos and the new 9-11. Interesting how that's what they called COVID-19. That's what they called October 7th. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Either way, we're going to do another one of these coming up soon. Probably the beginning of the closer, you know, January past, probably. But we're going to do this and to discuss where we see this going. Rarely do we, you know, truly get into prediction types, but this is what we did here. And I'll tell you, you watch this and there's like three parts to this, I believe. But by the way, if you don't ever see this up here, you can see the T-Lab team and all of us listed. And then Whitney. And you got the different sections. Here's the 2020 election. Oh, there's two parts. It's worth your time. So we're going to follow up on this most certainly. Autotix is just is, is honestly one of the, I think, most benign. I shouldn't even use that word. It's one of the least important. Even that doesn't. They're all crazy important and alarming. But of all of them, cyber reason really does concern me. But the 911 call center aspect or even the health, you know, medical care overlap is what really concerns me, too. 
but all of these things, the CTI lead conversation or the access to our, our actual cyber uh, network and whether this could be something, I mean, if we're talking about like overall, like blackout level chaos that will cause something, this would be the time. And I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just simply saying that the ability to do so is there. They're pretty desperate right now. So it's something we should be on guard for as we get closer to the election. And this is why, really. I mean, if you got somebody like Pierce Morgan, which, by the way, in no way am I trying to support. He is just like the rest of them, as far as I can tell. Meekly changing sides about 72 days late, right? But as it says, the Zionists have officially lost Pierce Morgan. Like, if you got... Everybody, even the most staunch supporters of Israel, suddenly switching over to go, man, they're murdering civilians. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? At the very least. But yes, also be on guard. But let's listen to this. He makes a very interesting point that I think is wildly relevant to the numbers we're talking about. Hamas, how many they're supposed to be, how many they claim they've killed, how many civilians have been killed. Here's Pierce Morgan, of all people, basically saying, you were right, Ryan. You were right, T-Lab chat. You were right. Everybody calling this out from the beginning, but not really saying that, just simply saying that now we can see it as if sort of like a Scott Adams kind of conversation that we were wrong before, even though we were right, because we weren't Piers Morgan saying it. But now that he said it, well, now we can see that's where this goes. These are people trying to salvage some of their credibility. That's my opinion. Decide for yourself. Nonetheless, I argue what he's saying here is the truth. Some of it. To Piers Morgan Uncensored, throughout the long and deadly history of Israel's wars with Palestine, it's usually fallen to Israel's friends to tell them when it's time to stop. That time may be fast approaching again, even as Israel insists it needs more time to eradicate Hamas. It can only have itself to blame. This weekend, the IDF admitted to killing three of its own hostages in Gaza. The men were waving a white flag of surrender. They'd used scraps of food to scrawl SOS, desperately pleading for help. Regardless of whether they were Israeli or Palestinian, there is no justification under international law for killing them. It's a clear breach of the rules of engagement. What does that tragedy tell us about the way Israeli soldiers are treating Palestinian civilians? How seriously should we now take Israel's insistence is doing everything it can to keep innocent people alive? In a separate incident, two innocent women were reportedly shot dead by sniper fire at a Catholic church in Gaza. One of them was leaving the church shelter to go to the toilet. Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Archbishop of Westminster, one of Britain's most senior spiritual leaders, was scathing. It's certainly a cold-blooded killing. The Israeli Defence Force says didn't happen, wasn't there? Well, I think that's hard to believe, frankly, because uh, the people in Gaza and the Cardinal Archbishop of Jerusalem, they're not given to tell lies. So you don't believe the Israeli Defence Force? No, I don't. Well, the Pope went even further. He said that what Israel's doing in Gaza now constitutes terrorism. Unarmed civilians are being bombed and shot at, and this has even happened inside the Holy Family Parish Complex, where there are no terrorists but families, children, and sick people with disabilities, nuns. Some say it's terrorism, it's war. Yes, it is war, it is terrorism. The British government is shifting its position to Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron in a joint statement with his German counterpart said he backs a sustainable ceasefire and said that too many civilians are being killed. Ben Wallace, the influential former defence secretary, said if Benjamin Netanyahu thinks a killing rage will rectify matters, then he's very wrong. 
His methods will not solve the problem. In fact, I believe his tactics will fuel the conflict for another 50 years. His actions are radicalizing Muslim youth across the globe. Probably by design. That's kind of always been the design. But ask yourself what changed. Cameron suddenly saying, you're killing too many civilians. Okay, what was the line for you, Cameron? Piers Morgan, what was your line here? Was it 5,000 civilians? 10,000? What is it when you pass 10,000 children? Like, what was it that made you go, okay, now you're killing too many civilians? Like, I'm trying to make an obvious point here. We Anybody honest about this was saying it right in the beginning. Oh my God, look how many civilians just died today. When the number was a, a 500, wow, that's way too many. Like, what's going on right now? Like in one day, two days, three days. But they all were telling you, Ryan, you're a racist. You're an anti-Semite. You don't know what you're talking about. Hamas is a terrorist group. You're a pro-terror Hamas anti-Semite. That's what they were doing. I mean, Pierce Morgan was no different. I mean, it was indiscernible from ben, Sh- ben Shapiro at that point. It was only very recently that Pierce started actually asking some of these questions. So my point is, there's just no way that you could pretend this is genuine. The evidence has been there. I mean, I guess you could argue that he's, I guess, embarrassingly admitting that he wasn't even looking at it until now, but that's not what he's saying. So all they're all doing is suddenly going too many civilians because they see the writing on the wall. Just like COVID, guys, it's no different. Remember, they all suddenly started go, well, you know, the quietly saying a little bit of the truth because they were desperate to not go or, you know, whatever you think what was going to be the outcome. They knew that you saw it. Same thing's happening now. I think he's right. All this after President Biden accused Israel of indiscriminate bombing. The starkest warning yet that America's backing is not unconditional. Well, news reports about the war in Gaza today will state that 18,000 Palestinians have been killed so far, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. And the key point about that often quoted sentence is not the debate about whether Hamas exaggerates those figures, is that Hamas is still in charge and able to release them as official numbers. After two months of war, endless atrocities and the full might of Israel's army unleashed on this tiny strip of land, the very people they're supposed to be eradicating are still firmly in power. Only about 20% of Hamas terrorists so far, even if you accept IDF figures on this, have been killed. That's important. So we're going to talk about that. Now, Piers Morgan has been wrong about a lot of stuff. Even, you know, citing 1,500 civilians have been killed on October 7th. That's never been true. Obviously, that's been rounded down to 1,139 people, only 700 about civilians. And even that number, I argue, is watered down with how many settlers and police were in that number. But even then, you're talking about 700 when the number was 1,400 to start. All civilians, some people are actually still saying. The point is, he said they've killed 20. That Basically, he said, oh, let me get the exact number again. Even if you accept the very people they're supposed to be eradicating are still firmly in power. Only about 20% of Hamas terrorists so far have been killed. So, okay, remember, 30,000 is the number they've cited for a long time. Whether it's real or not, that's what they've stated. So that's what we're, they're claiming is kind of the current reality. So we're going to act as, sort of like with the COVID, we're arguing with them within their narrative, right? So if they're saying there's 30,000 people that are Hamas, and they claim to date they've only killed 20% of them, that's important. We're going to talk about that when the clip is over and discuss what that reveals for us. Even if you accept... IDF figures on this have been killed. 80% remain alive and fighting. Well, most civilized countries and decent people back Israel's fundamental right to exist 
and indeed its duty to defend itself. Oh, most decent people. Back its fundamental right to have an illegal occupied territory. That's what he said. How dumb is that? Nobody's arguing that Israelis or Jews in particular don't have a right to exist in some location. But it's really dumb to argue that it can only be on top of Palestine. And therefore, if you don't agree with them illegally doing what's illegal, as we've always known as illegal, then you're a racist or not a decent moral person like he's framing. See, this is that's dumb. And he knows that. I guarantee he's aware of the conversation of the occupation. It doesn't matter, though, because that's this is the watered down version of the truth, which is supposed to win back some of his support. But the war is now under like more like retribution than strategy. That suspicion is fueled by hardliners and Netanyahu's government. But- oh, is it, is it starting to, Piers Morgan? 72 days of genocide is when it starts to look like it's retribution? <laughs> you see what I mean? How pathetic. Israeli commentators making appalling remarks like this. He says, I am for war crimes. Right? This is what I've been showing you, and all of us have doing this since the beginning. The intent which is usually the hardest part to prove when it comes to the legal allegation of genocide. Not now, though. As human rights lawyers in the world and genocide scholars have been saying, they told you what they want. Their intent was clear when they told you they're committing genocide. Here he is saying, I am for war crimes. (laughs) I don't care if I'm criticized. (laughs) Oh, we're all laughing about it. I support the war crimes. And I honestly don't care, he says. He laughs, as the other presenters laugh as well. Well, the rest of the- Yeah, and you know what, Pierce Morgan? You could find about 45 of those probably from the same day. But only now do you suddenly start pointing this out. You can go back as long as you want. They, they, from date from October 8th forward, there have been people on Israeli media saying, do not kill them all, put them into the sea, make it a parking lot. So too with people in the country of the United States. I, I guess he only just stumbled across that, right? Okay, I'll stop making the same point, but it's obvious it was there before. He's only just now choosing to make this line. The world does not support war crimes. And if Israel does have a plan and proof that it's working, it needs to start showing the evidence of that plan very soon. Think about that statement, too. Giving them an outright at the end. Well, you better start showing us the evidence that's worked. What would that be, Piers? What exactly could they show you right now that would go, oh, okay. So 20,000 civilians killed was part of that plan. And now that makes it all make sense. No, that's just a meek, cowardly end to what was pretending to be something was strong and resolute to going, well, maybe they've got an excuse. Yeah, you know what? They've always got an excuse. That's the whole point. Frustrating. But one thing I want to point out, first of all, just realizing, oh, before I go past it, though, that's the point I want to make there. But I guess since I brought this up, I want to make sure you guys didn't miss this. I definitely made a mistake yesterday or day before yesterday which I'm really frustrated about because it was an important point. And just so it's clear, every point I made, save for when I was specifically making the point about the day number, was accurate. Because it was all really about the ratio that originally I had based on the the per hour number. That's how I did the ratio, which broke down to 11 Palestinians an hour, which you could do the math yourself. It's not hard. I, I just did a really stupid mistake, which I added this right here, by the way, so people can see it. And under everything I posted everywhere, because that's what an honest person should do, was that I basically ended up reversing the division. I did it last second, which is usually how these mistakes happen, where somebody sent me something that was about a day number. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I broke it down real quick and then just wrote it down and went live. And I didn't even, basically the number was wrong. 
the, but nonetheless, the hour number and even the per day number when compared to Syria and Iraq, based on the numbers overall and the averages, like it's all posted, broke down to about three to four times the amount. So what I changed the title to was simply Israel kills 11 Palestinians every hour, as opposed to what I had before. So as always, guys, I, if I make a mistake, I will correct it. We all make mistakes. It's all, it's certainly, especially when you talk for four hours about 50,000 different things, you're probably going to make, make a mistake here and there, but it was one that I'm really frustrated about one, because it was important. And two, because it's a stupid mistake that I'm embarrassed to make, but you know, we all make them, <clears throat> but I don't like that people will probably ignore how obvious the killing is because of that. But the reason I brought this up was to get into this kind of point in general. But first talking about this and the number of the, the Hamas, the amount of Hamas members he was referencing. So we're at, right now, 27,137 killed, 24,817 of them being civilians, 5,533 being women, and 10,517 being children killed in Gaza. This is day 76. This is on the, from the 21st, so technically yesterday. So I guarantee you there's probably another 100 to 200 children alone killed throughout today. That's just been the average, which is disgusting. 93 journalists have been killed so far, 473 health staff killed. But in, in the, the whole point here, oh, and in, in case you didn't see this, oh, I had it here somewhere. Just so you know that the, and oh, you know what? I am jumping ahead. The, uh, how do I not have that right here? Huh? Oh, I do. It's right there. See, I'm, I'm always two steps ahead of myself and then I make myself look dumb because I already have it right next in line, Ryan, get, get on the program is that they have already admitted this is accurate. We'll come to that next. Just for those that are already screaming that, you know, that's the health Gaza numbers, you dummy. It's Gaza's lying. Well, even now, I, the IDF just admitted that that number is accurate, by the way. But my point is about the number of Hamas members. So if they're saying per Pierce Morgan, which take that with a gigantic grain of salt, but just to make the point, he reported that IDF says they've killed 20%. They make a bunch of random claims all over the place, but they, since they said it, 20%. So if we're talking 30,000, 20% would be 6,000. So in regard to 30,000 Hamas members, so 6,000 of them is what we're, I guess, claiming they've killed, which I'm going to go ahead and tell you off the top. I do not believe that. One, because if they had actually killed that many, they would be parading that in front of you as much as they could. And then they had to arrest a bunch of civilians from a hospital and pretend they pulled them out of the tunnels. And then some of which they killed, by the way, just add it to the list of war crimes that somebody will hopefully be held accountable for. They lied about that. It was, they were not, they were doctors and people from the UN. They were not Hamas members and they weren't from a tunnel. They lied. And we're going to get into the Sheep hospital too. But if we're talking about 6,000, they've killed 27,000 people, right? 27,000 people in Gaza. So if you break down that number, that breaks down to about one for every one Hamas member, assuming 6,000 is correct, that's 4.5, give or take, civilians. So just think about how gross that is. There's no rational justification. For every single thing, time you kill a Hamas member, you're effectively killing 4.5 civilians. Or, to make it more stark, every time they kill one Hamas member, assuming 6,000 is what they have killed, that they kill 1.8 children. About two children die every time they kill a Hamas member. Now, is that acceptable to anybody? 
Why would that ever be acceptable anywhere, no matter what the circumstances? If I told you before they started that they were going to get rid of Hamas, but for every one they killed, two children would die, would you say, okay, great, get there to get... The Zionists probably would. They're telling you that right now with every action they take. And when we get to the, the discussion of their own hostages, I'll make that even more clear. As more people are telling you, they were terrified of being killed by the IDF bombings. And they were treated well by Hamas. I just think this needs to be discussed more clearly with the average person. A, ran a random mom out there believing they support Israel will not be okay with two children dying for every time they claim they kill Hamas member or the idea of 150 children a day as they're doing everything they can to avoid killing civilians but kill 150 children every single day. It's disgusting. It is, it is what keeps you up at night. Feeling like you can't do enough to stop this. And hear me. I do not believe they've killed 6,000. So that goes up dramatically. Think about that. Let's just say they've killed, you know, 100. Think about that number. We're talking about dramatically. But see, I think we already know this is where it's going. And this is why the lies have become so transparent. Here's the link, by the way, if you want to keep up on this. And to make that point that I clumsily jumped into a second ago, Scott Horton points out, Israeli government tells Reuters that they agree the health ministry numbers are accurate from Gaza. 20,000 killed, 1% of the entire population of Gaza. Apparently, that's doing everything you can. But then the U.S. goes, you need to do more. After they told us for 70 days they were doing everything they can, but now they have to do more. Because <laughs> that totally makes sense, right? Of course, the Israelis print, pretend only two-thirds of them are civilians. So even then, having to admit... See, this is what I think is so shocking about this. The fact that they knowing they're losing so dramatically, both in reality on the ground in kinetic sense, or but in propaganda is what I really mean, that they're willing to admit to you that yes, they have killed two, you know, what, 1,500, 15,000 civilians is what they're admitting to, as if that's, and, and that's the admission. And I'm arguing it's not. I mean, this is, again, coming from the Euro, right, uh, Euro uh, Med Human Rights Group, which is taking this from the very group that we're about to show you the IDF just said is accurate. And they're telling you it's 24,817 civilians. Now, just because the discrepancy between those doesn't mean that we're talking about Hamas. We're just talking about different, because there are there's police, there are all sorts of different elements you could argue are just like we would in Israel. But maybe, maybe you do argue that. Maybe this is them claiming that that's how many Hamas members have been killed. I can't find that definitive point anywhere. But even then, it's far below what they claim they've killed. But even then, if it is accurate, Still shows you the ratio is staggering. But here's what it says on Reuters. Israeli officials this month said they believe the data released to date is broadly accurate. Accurate. They have estimated that one third of those killed in Gaza are enemy combatants. They've estimated. I guess I'm, I love that they, their guesses are, are good enough without providing any details. This is from Reuters. Death toll, Gaza death toll. Why counting the dead has become a daily struggle. So for all those still loud laughing, you're so dumb, you buy the Hamas lies, or Ben Shapiro or anybody else continuing to argue that those numbers are just blindly supporting Hamas, you're a useful idiot for Hamas. Well, they're all wrong. As is the very is government they're currently supporting with their lies just came out and said, yeah, no, they're right. That's pretty embarrassing for you guys. It should be because you are embarrassing. And then if you didn't already see this, by the way. Here's the Lancet, who already did a study on this, said the same thing. No evidence of inflated mortality reporting from the Gaza Ministry of Health, now or historically, by the way. Quote, 
well, I, I already went over this. The point is they use the public information. They use the different databases compared with Israel. And historically, they've pretty much always been on point. Not exact, but pretty much in line, broadly accurate. Because usually these are estimates in wartime. And you know what? They deserve credit for even having it accurate when they're broadly estimating in the middle of a war. But we know this and people are still lying about it. Now, in regard to that same point about how many are being killed, and this overlaps with both the civilians they pretend they're trying to avoid and their own Israeli people who they claim they're of utmost importance to bring home while they bomb where they are. And while the people who have come home said they watched hostages get killed by Israeli bombings, and then Israel goes up to say that Hamas killed them. A recent investigation by the New York Times reveals that Israel used one of, quote, its biggest and most destructive bombs in areas designed, designated as safe for civilians. I mean, these, this should be the end of this conversation. These, they, and the, think about the kind of action they mobilize, and I'm not calling for this, because I don't like the idea of international, basically like we would see the U.S. use the international community against one of their enemies and act like we have to march in there and take the bad guys away. Well, that gets really uncomfortable for me. The idea that there's even a possibility where the very same entities could then use the international community, a NATO element or, or UN element to kind of push in and, and you know, abuse that situation like we've already seen them try to do. But in this case, I think it's obvious that the Israeli government are the criminals and what they're doing deserves accountability. I argue the Israeli population will easily take care of that if allowed to actually see their will embodied. I, do, I really believe most of the Israeli population does not want what the Israeli government is pushing, just like we don't in this country for our government. I could be wrong, certainly. Plenty of people would argue that. But the first, for, first and foremost, I argue that's what we need to allow to happen is the will of the people of that country. But ultimately, I think it's obvious without the action of the international community, or rather just the awareness and acknowledgement of what they're doing, this is going to continue. And this alone proves that they knowingly targeted and bombed civilians. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we end up seeing people march in front of the Hague, right? And and an international kind of investigation or trial for war crimes, genocide. And here is the investigation itself. The Times investigation tracked Israel's use of one of the most destructive bombs in South Gaza. Now it gets into the 2,000-pound bombs and from the craters that they saw. And I'm just going to cut to the chase for those who read this. It's not that long. Here's the point. When a 2,000-pound bomb detonates, it creates a blast wave that can harm people up to 3,000 feet away. So when you're bombing in a densely packed civilian area, well, you're almost guaranteeing that this is designed to hurt people that are bystanders. And that also, that's why I included the overlap of the dumb bombs, which are indiscriminate by definition, and they know that. And half of what they've used have been dumb bombs, guaranteeing that they're killing civilians. They know that, and that's the point. Our visual investigation suggests Israel routinely dropped this bomb in areas south of Wadi Gaza. I argue that's what they bopped on the, dropped in the, the uh, Jabalia refugee camp, right? The idea that this massive crater, this huge bomb meant to just hurt people that were in its, in its area. The place it had been repeatedly told civilians to move to. This is our first mainstream acknowledgement of what we've been showing you the whole time. They tell them to go to an area that's safe, then immediately bomb them in that area. Bomb them on the way to that area and bomb where they're coming from. It's guaranteed to kill them, is my point. 
Sometimes 2,000-pound bombs leave craters in the ground where they strike that are approximately 40 feet in diameter. Does this look familiar? And it says, leveraging this fact, we trained an obje object detection AI algorithm to find craters visible in the satellite imagery of South Gaza. Look at that. Using the platforms, we train the algorithm with many examples. And this is coming from New York Times, by the way. Bottom line, they found all sorts of examples in all sorts of civilian areas where they told them to go. Once trained, we ran the object over it. Check this out. Guys, look at that. We needed to verify these detections. 100 millimeter boxes around each detection, stitching together detections were within 100 meters of each other. Then we set up a workflow where each of the uh, geotag boxes we had to corresponding to the satellite image. And from an image from early in the conflict on the left, bottom line, I'm just trying to kind of quickly read through it. The point was that they ended up, you know, verifying the information, comparing it with the stuff on the ground and the map. Guys, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So all look, just look at this map and, and ask yourself, these are 2,000 pound bombs that destroy or could possibly kill or hurt people within 3,000 feet around it. Bop, dropping this over the process of 72 days. And then dropping dumb bombs designed to hurt and maim and kill the most possible with the most indiscriminate, without any risk. These are just, consider this massively strong rockets where you could, like, the point is, it is what you use when you don't care what's down there. And they're getting called out for it. This was also a New York Times investigation. And here, by the way, this is just to get the title I show in the beginning. 2,000-pound bombs where it was where it ordered Gazan civilians to go to. So now, think about this point. While they're sitting there screaming, we told them to move out of the way. We told them to leave, and since they stayed, they're terrorists. Well, guess what? You just got caught for bombing where you told them to go. So you're the terrorist, which, by the way, we're finally starting to understand. You cannot pretend that they're responsible, even though many of them are in incubators or ventilated or are old enough they can't move or they have limbs blown off or they're pregnant or all these people that people like Abu Sita, for example, the doctor, have been screaming about. They're not capable of being moved. And then you bomb them where you tell them to go. Guys, this just cannot be any more clear. These people know what they're doing. It's ethnic cleansing. Now, let's add to that point about the dumb bombs and everything else, the AI mass assassination factory, right? The reports that came from IDF members, former and current, who told you they use an artificial intelligence program to murder people, to take down buildings, to take down buildings, to use the excuse of a possible Hamas affiliation to bring the whole building down half the time what they don't even tell anybody about. They admitted this in on the record, 972 Magazine. Or just the ongoing amnesty, here's a couple of them, investigations that literally find the exact same thing. Damning evidence of war crimes, Israeli attacks wipe out entire families. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of Palestinians. On and on, I can show you 15 more of these. Now here is the sum of the Republican right in this country. And by the way, this is a dean at uh, Regent University, whatever that is. Listen to what she says. We have one industry in Gaza, and that's terrorism. So it's time that Gaza ends. The two million people who live there, they are clever assassins. They need to be removed from that land. That land needs to be turned into a national park. Oh, yeah. like You mean like the Holocaust one they discussed? Turn it into like Auschwitz? Part? That's what, that was what Israeli entity said. 
Do you realize how ignorant that is? Like, and guys, I don't believe this represents the average Republican, regardless of what the Democrats might say. That is really, really lowbrow. That's aimed at the lowest common denominator, right? They're all in the industry's terrorism. It's really stupid, guys. It's what they want you to think Republicans are. It's what they're trying to convince Republicans to be. It's all manufacturing consent and social engineering. These are really dumb people. And the idea is that they're really just tapping into whatever that really, really surface level narrative is. All they got is terrorism and we have to just remove them all. Well, okay, that's a crime though. So I guess it doesn't matter, you know, ethnic cleansing and all or displacement, international law. Who cares? Because that's what we like to say because we like Israel. These people exist. And sadly, it's, it's really, really ignorant stuff. But hear me, I do not think that's the majority of people on either side of this. But we have to realize that they're being marched out and they're saying really stupid things. Zachary Foster is a a PhD in the history of Palestine. He's someone worth following. He does great work. Next one. Here is a former Knesset member, like their their Congress, Danny Newman. I think we might have played this one, advocating for exactly what we know the plan is, or at least what I would argue we've proven the plan is, but you guys can decide for yourself. It's in in, uh, subtitles, but he says, I'll tell you in Gaza without an exception, These are all terrorists, son of dogs. They must be exterminated, all of them killed. We will flatten Gaza. Oh, there's that same language, even though they act like what they're doing is with the national law when Israel's, you know, when Netanyahu says that, turn them to dust and the army will cleanse the area. Now, how is this not extremist genocide language? It's exactly what it is. Cleanse the area? Jeez. Then we will start building new areas for us. I told you guys, that's what's happening. The new settlements for our security. Let's let's play this real quick. Let's not forget, this is not new. This is not post-October 7th, which is what a lot of people try to capitalize on. No, it's because they just went through their 9-11 and they're angry. Well, how about the fact that they've been saying this as far back as you want to look? Here is... Uh, um, I'm, his name is on there. I'm blanking on his name off the top of my head. I haven't played it in a minute. The, uh, the member of parliament from Ireland reading the quotes from Israeli politicians. This is from 2015. This is the defense minister, Moshe Yalom, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the defense minister. Uh, this is the... Uh, Uh, military chief of staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the Minister for Education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. He also said, if you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life, and there's no problem with that. Uh, This is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the the mothers of the martyrs. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. That's the Israeli Minister for Justice. 
in the last few months. The Israeli Minister for, uh, Deputy Minister for Defence, Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, C.P. Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one Aha. state only, the state of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. Now, these are the official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel. In one case, actually advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists? That it is absolutely unacceptable in civilized politics, in civilized international relations, for the heads of government of a state that we carry on normal relations with and who you met in Paris to advocate those sort of views when we know they have also led on to the deaths of thousands of Palestinians, uh, innocent men, women and children. What have you to say, Taoiseach, about those sort of views being expressed by the Israeli government? Absolutely nothing. Um, please remind me what his name was in the chat. It's frustrating me, and I'll, I'll make sure you point him out. We've been we've referenced him many times in the past. I'm just blanking on the name off the top of my head. So here's an here's an, a, you know, a point to make here about exactly the kind of stuff they're talking about. This is this is a Jew writing this on his platform on Twitter to my fellow Jews. I demand to know how you see this, and do not immediately see the sunken cheeks, hollow eyes of the camp survivors, the allied forces stumbled on. I'm actually blanking on that specific location where it's that first place that was just of nightmares. But this is just speaking about the concentration camps and what they, what they you know, re- reportedly found in regard to the people with all starved to death and so on. Because the point is, here, Farak Kateb from Ramallah, West Bank, not Gaza, from the West Bank. He's been released from an Israeli jail. This was in the 20th. The photos show him before and after being kidnapped by the Israeli forces. Look at him, guys. Look at his face. Look at what they did to him. Now, you realize that even when you're in jail and prison, right, there's a, a, a international law you're required to maintain their health, food, and so on, right? That's starvation tactics. By the way, we know that. This is what we were talking about from the, the kids that were released. And many of them scooped back up the next day or just just arrested a bunch of children before they released them. We showed you all of this. It's that they were given a bag of dry rice between a few of them to survive on. Dry rice. This is a war crime. This is a lack of humanity. Let this register. Let it sink into you what they're doing to these people. And this is not a terrorist, guys. This is somebody they even released. Just a Palestinian who was in the wrong place at the wrong time and spent years in prison. No charge. That's how this works. Kidnapped three. Oh, excuse me. This was the wrong guy. Three months ago. Detained under administrative detention. No charge, no trial. I thought this was the, the other guy we were talking about who was there for, I think it was three years. The point is, this is numerous examples of these people that have come out with no charge. Why do you think it's okay to hold anybody for, th- for any amount of time, or no, three months with no charge, let alone years, which, guy, by the way, is the reality. 
Even the UN has talked about this for a very long time. Doesn't matter, though. So his point is, to all these people like Ben Shapiro out there, where are you? How dare you pretend like this is not exactly what it looks like? Now, to hide things like that, this is how this is supposed to work. As Rich People Weekly points out, this is what's called atrocity propaganda. And its main goal is the dehumanization of an enemy to gain support for wholesale slaughter and war profiteering. And in this case, ethnic cleansing and genocide in Gaza. This is actually really unnerving. So what you're going to see is a New York New York uh, Times Center, or I mean, I'm an idiot, New York City, Times Square, I can't talk, where you can see an ad that is really in your face. And what it shows is the now iconic gray sweatpants with blood on it, which, by the way, is iconic of an unproven story about what people claim is rape which I also said it seems like that's unlikely based on what we can see, but nobody has followed up on, I, we only ever were told, by the way, that that was, um, what's his name, Neftali, not Bennett, but the the main mass propagandist guy who apparently claimed that was his daughter, but there was never a follow-up there. Certainly might be. Who, by the way, was also an IDF member, by the way, which makes it a military target. Doesn't mean she could be abused or even beat up. That's all. Those are all crimes. But all we know is that she was seen with blood on the back of her pants being moved from the back and into another car, which certainly could mean she was raped, but it also could mean that there was blood on the ground. The idea is they don't know and neither do we. So it'd be really irresponsible for us to do something like this and pretend like this proves anything, but it's all about scaring people into taking this narrative. Did you see what it said right there? It says Hamas brutally raped and murdered hundreds of Israeli women. Is that true? First of all, that sentence implies hundreds of people were raped. They know they did that on purpose. When you ask, they'll argue we meant murder. You know, they would say murder is what we meant. Either way, that sentence claims hundreds of people were raped. The evidence doesn't prove any of it. Not a single one, by the way. There's no forensic evidence. And the claims of pelvises breaking almost prove that they're lying on top of using old images from 2022 that have been proven or continuing to cite things we can prove didn't happen from all these same people. But then saying that we even know who actually killed the people we're talking about. I'm not saying you can prove that they didn't kill anybody. I think you can prove they did. But we don't know who killed what at this point, or who killed how many. Because it's very clear that every day we go forward, we find out more and more that they're lying about, including what they're doing in Gaza, but more in particular, what happened on that day and how much they were involved, and how many people were actually killed by IDF members. God forbid, intentionally, we know it was at least crossfire. Their own people keep saying this. Can you still ignore them now? Like, like this disdain they have for everybody in the United States. Like, like, how do you know who you're aiming? Who, who are you talking to? I'm willing to bet you most people there probably agree with you. It's just about shock. And listen to the sound it makes when that red comes down. <laughs> Sounds of women screaming. 
what is this, Halloween? Like, that's a, that's unbelievable, uh, especially on the back of something that even met people in the international community have been forced to admit that they have not proven, which is the only, the only thing I've ever said. Have not proven, because there is no proof. Their own people have admitted that. They never talk forensic evidence, and that time with that window is passed. So at best, we're ever going to get is their allegation. Okay, so I, I can take that's your I can take it at face value. That's your allegation. Just don't be mad when we continue to say that's unproven because it is. That's the definition of where it is. But that makes him very angry because this is all about what I believe what what Rich People Weekly is pointing out. It's about shocking people with allegations like babies' heads cut off and forty beheaded babies and women's stomachs cut open and babies in an oven, all of which have been proven to be false by Haaretz, Israeli mainstream media, and admitted by people like Owen Jones from the Guardian or people that have saw the screening and said, you know what, we don't. Can't prove that. It's not there. Or hiding this kind of stuff. Or worse yet, stuff like this. As Dan Cohen writes, the UN Human Rights Office, who, by the way, to they're just claiming is Hamas now. So people in the Israeli narrative, which are a rapidly dwindling Zionist, can, uh, people that are supporting the Zionist government, is rapidly dwindling support right now. But they're going, well, UN is Hamas because they keep pointing out stuff like this. The UN Human Rights Office reports that the Israeli forces su- uh, uh, summarily, summarily, <laughs> it's a weird word, I think, executed at least 11 men, then forced women and children, tell me this doesn't sound familiar, into a room and shot them or threw a grenade. Wasn't that what we were told Hamas did inside those areas where they were all the festival goers were all hiding? Well, Seeing as how their clear objective now was to bring as many people back to be able to exchange for hostages, why would that make sense? Certainly possible. I'm not disputing they're capable of it. But it, more and more evidence becomes comes out. We get we begin to see more and more align with what the Israeli government's actions continue to be. This is the this is the United Nations saying they put people, women and children, into a room and threw a grenade in there. That's exactly what they keep telling us was ha- what was done to these people. Who, by the way. The ones who are around tell a different story. The ones who have come home from Gaza tell a different story. Um, dang, I'm trying to find the... Hey, there it is. This one. I think of the word. And this is why I maintain this happened. It's my opinion. You're going to decide for yourself. On the 14th. Music festival survivors were involuntarily committed due to mental breakdowns, you know, or maybe they had a story that you didn't like. I mean, just something to consider. I mean, let's realize the ones who did come home. Remember the the, the one from the beginning who said she was shot at by the IDF and she screamed in Hebrew like, wait, 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 I'm Jewish. And then saw them shoot people. All right, so she is alive, and she said she watched them. If she hadn't a scream, they would have shot her too. That's not a comfortable story. And a lot of the ones that were driving back away, they blew up on the way back. It says, this is what Biden's administration is defending at the UN Security Council, partners in genocide. They'll keep they'll just keep claiming UN is Hamas or whatever feeble argument they can make, but the evidence is pretty damn clear. And this propaganda monitor writes, there's a reason why Hamas uses bo- used body cams on October 7th and the IDF doesn't. 
this is their opinion. Hamas wanted to show the world what they actually did, preventing future false accusations of mass rape beheadings while the IDF doesn't want the world to know what they actually do. Dan Cohen says, exactly. No doubt those body cams contain evidence of Israel's Hannibal directive in action. Now, you don't have to agree with that. I agree with the point of what their cameras show and the reason they only show limited versions of their special screening to some people because I think there's a lot there they don't want you to see. But just take, let's just say you take propaganda monitor statement and you agree with it. Do you realize that doesn't have to mean that they're not terrorists? This is also how the atrocity propaganda works. Now, suddenly, if you're going, well, they didn't just murder a bunch of women or rape a bunch of women. You're like, well, you support Hamas. It's like, how do you get that from what I said? Like, realize that let's just say that they are religious, religious extremists, which is what most of the Israeli population probably believe. And maybe that's true. But I argue that where the funding and support comes from, it's sort of like the ISIS overlap where a lot of these people are not really what they seem to be. But either way, let's just say that's the case. And let's say that that what they argue is that that doesn't align with what they believe. The rape and all the difference. And okay, so let's just say that's the case. Are they not still doing something you argue is terrorism? Are they not still committing acts of violence in order to achieve a political end, which is the actual definition of terrorism? Do they not kill innocent people? Why is it necessary for you to align them with grotesque atrocities for them to for them not to be claimed terrorism? Isn't that interesting to think about? And this is what comes into the reality that, well, if they don't do that, well, then suddenly their terrorism looks weirdly the same as just the way that the U.S. government conducts war. Aha. And now we've come to the point where it has to be something different because we can't have it seen that our war for freedom is the same as terrorism, just with a different angle. That's what it is. Just consider that. Now, The Intercept also writes, Israel's now barring international reporters from entering Gaza, which is nothing new. This was yesterday. And as they write, systematically killing the Palestinian journalists who are the eyes and ears of the world, reporting from the Israeli enforced killing cage. It's very clear, guys. Nine, what is it, 93 journalists now? Can you start? I mean, I really just can't. I'm, I, as much as I know who we're dealing with here, I believe so. I just, I still shocked with how I can't believe this has been allowed to go on like it has. I really just can't believe it. Even though I know these people that are allowing it don't care about your life or their lives, they're losing things because of this. It's just, this is why I believe the Zionist influence is being shown right now. Some people have some stories, probably. Well, Aaron Matze writes in regard to the Al-Shifa hospital point, because all this does, it, it, it's the same point. The amount of people that they're, I mean, even just talking about the people that were there, their people or the civilians that are being bombed every single day, right? All the information about what they're trying to hide. Al-Shifa Hospital was one example of one location of a massive effort to to manufacture consent that blew up in their face. And yet they've still pushed the idea. They've still killed people backed on the idea of what they, they claim they proved. But now the Washington Post has come out and said, you lied about that, but you already know this. He wrote in the most neutered language possible, and see, that's the same thing I'm pointing out. As much as they are still admitting something that I argue is important, it's doing it in the most meek, feeble, like barely stepping one toe in the corner of the pool. Okay, that's it. When there's a, you know, the, it's been this evident from the very beginning. So it shows you this is a coordinated release, but doesn't mean it's not root. It, I still argue that it's true. The post concludes what was obvious from the start. 
which I agree with. Israel's claim of Hamas command and control center under al-Shifa was a lie. Here's their tweet. The evidence presented by the Israeli government falls short of showing that Hamas had been using al-Shifa as a command center. Their target wasn't Hamas. It was simply Palestinian existence in Gaza, which I agree with. Then he writes, and it really just goes on to give you some more examples. Here's the Biden administration trying to sell you on this lie, right? Telling you what the lie was instead of actually being able to prove this, which is what they've done from the very beginning. The New York Times, many of the rest of them, they all laundered the same lie. That's the important part to see. So now that they're all meekly going in the direction, well, they already lie, they already did the opposite of what their job was. They blindly reported what the, what the Israeli government said was the truth without any real investigation. Wall Street Journal, on and on. So here's the article itself. The case of Al-Shifa investigating the assault on Gaza's largest hospital. The most important little part, I mean, all of it's important, but just to give you the synopsis, the room connected to the tunnel network discovered by the IDF, or what they say they discovered, showed no immediate evidence of military use. So even their lie was done poorly, which is pretty much how they've been doing so far. Right? So here's the room we found. But yeah, in there, the, where's the evidence it was military? None of the five hospital buildings that are identified by Hagari, that's the guy pointing at the calendar, the most famously embarrassed person by this whole thing, none of them appear to be connected to the tunnel network. And this is what we were showing you, right? Here's the, the room, here's the hole, and then cutscene. Here's, the, here's the tunnel cutscene. Here's the room, here's the underground network. Okay, but then you stand back and actually look at it. You go, well, that door is different. <laughs> that The ceiling looks different. That There's no wiring right there. Like, just clumsy. So, it's obvious you were filming in a different location. And finally, there is no evidence that the tunnels could be accessed from inside hospital wards. They manufactured this lie, guys. Wholesale. And I simply said, if you watch T-Lab's breakdown of this PR disaster, you already know they lied to you. And I'll include these articles so you can read them, you know, the ones we did on the 15th, which was November 15th, revealed that the Israel built a command center and tunnel system under Al-Shifa. And on the next day that they were caught lying about what they claimed they found. Now, if you remember, we did well, pretty much before anybody, as far as I could tell, break this down, which was the oh, public information, by the way. So it's not something I was the only one to find. But when this started, it was important to push this out in front of people. The idea that their own Wikipedia entry said, yes, they built it themselves. Then they quickly, somebody quickly hid that, tried to remove it, and then put it back in a really different way. I, I broke it all down. It was really embarrassing. Had the way back machine. But here's what they said then, November 23rd. Following indisputable evidence, the IDF writes, indicating the chief of hospital served as a Hamas command center. Well, no, you're lying, and we just caught you. We already proved that. Now, even the Washington Post came along and said, nope, not true. So, to, so think about this the next time the IDF comes out and says indisputable evidence of whatever the next thing is. Not only did Hamas exploit the hospital's electricity and all these Eli Davids and Ben Shapiro's of the world are out there screaming at everybody about lock up the doctors, lock up the United Nations because they allowed this. They're all lying. They're all lying to you. Here's the IDF in Hebrew. 
The IDF forces continue to operate and locate terrorist infrastructures in hospitals, right? Because they went after the Al-Shifa afterward and they went on to all the rest of them. And they didn't even pretend they needed to make up some kind of a narrative. They just, if you asked, they went, oh, you know, Hamas. Because nobody was even asking. They bombed, what, 20, how many hospitals it was? Pretty much every hospital in Gaza, I believe they're bombing. Or they're about to bomb one of the last ones right now. They started bombing right near it, like they've done everywhere else. It's like the same old process. With the same amount of people that can't leave, that you know you're going to kill. And we are now we're finding out that they're do, dropping bombs that guarantee that. And don't forget all these ridiculous propaganda videos where things changed, or suddenly it was a car or a truck, or the tunnel was inside or was outside, or it's the wrong door, over and over and over, or getting caught by even the BBC arranging different things, getting caught bringing in boxes with like really childish taped on medical supplies, like printed right out of some old Windows printer really stupid and then of course there are no there's no medical supplies but you find those boxes tucked away behind the guns which then magically disappear when the bbc comes back guys they were caught it's really bad and regardless of any of it whatever they did claim they found was the cemented up area which i argue they hadn't been using because everybody knows they've been claiming this was their center so why would they be using it is something that Israel built under an active hospital in, in I, from, I think, post-1980 something. They built it during a hospital being active. So they use human shields, which, by the way, I've discussed a lot. I'll just include the video here for you. The open secret of Israel's use of human shields. About 17 minutes, but it has all the information. This is the quick clip I usually play. But we also have this, if you don't remember. I'm not going to play it now, but this is the clip from France 24. Oh, not Al Jazeera, France 24. And they're breaking down the fact that this video of a nurse claiming that she was there and that Hamas was forcing them to do stuff, they literally proved this was fake. This was a Hasbara fake video of a nurse who wasn't even in Al-Shifa lying about what they saw, which now we've proven in a thousand different ways also. So revisiting that, look at that. Having to fake information, having to pump out fake social media posts, because this is all a massive lie. You know, pretty much the only thing they're not lying and manufacturing is the death toll. That's interesting. I'll include both these for you to watch. Now, here's some, the sad reality of what they've used, and it's just a couple of examples. Like, really, the, the, the reality is the untold amount of suffering and death that we can't even quantify because I don't, we don't even know how many people have actually been killed in this process. Or who are buried underneath the buildings they destroyed. But this is posted on the 18th. On the 18th, Dr. Hani Al-Hatham, head of the Al-Shifa Hospital's emergency department, was murdered. They'd already arrested the director, remember? He was murdered, along with his wife, who was also a doctor, and their five children. That's him right there. This is who we're talking about. And, and why? Because they claimed that they're all terrorists, because they wanted to even though they're lying. This is a firsthand account, Dr. Anastasia Maria Lopez. And an interesting dynamic in all this, right? Very, very on the same path of exposing the COVID injections, but interestingly deviates from a lot of the core right-wing accounts that are now blindly supporting Israel. It makes me have a lot more faith in, in her in general, because she's not just going along with what the partisan people say. She's calling out with the, the truth. Same thing she did in COVID, calling out the same thing about what she sees going on in Israel, that they're murdering people in Gaza. And she simply points out firsthand accounts of Dr. Ehab Bader, 
of how he survived 43 days of bombing while trying to save babies at Al Shifa Hospital. From one doctor to another, this testimony needs to be used in a war crimes tribunal. Now, it's a long one. This is about an hour 35 interview, but it's worth watching, guys. What he had to go through to try to, at his own risk of his own life, surprising he's even alive to save these children's lives. As we know, they left a bunch of them in a different hospital to rot on those beds when they knew they were there. Now, this is how this game is played. Knowing that we just caught them lying in a very egregious way, they push out these kind of people. Now, we already went over this point, which I said was very reactive. So on the 16th, the Euro, the Euromed, uh, Euromed Human Rights Monitor, right, who's already exposing other things we've already proven, spoke to these doctors who said they literally buried civilians alive, guys. That's not an accident. That's not just in the war process. That is the worst of humanity. And that's who we're dealing with. And I don't believe that's every IDF member or is every Israeli, but it's definitely what the Israeli government drives. They buried humans alive because they're Palestinian. Of course, then after this came out, two days later, Mr. Propagandist comes out three days and says, official, the hospital director who they kidnapped confesses that it was a military base for Hamas. No evidence of that. Nothing on the ground that even proves that, by the way. But they said he said it when he was interrogated, right? Well, this is where we already showed you before. Not the same exact case as Hadi points out lies. Well, before we even get into the article, this man was one of the 70 people who were kidnapped and stripped naked that we already showed you who they've already been forced to admit were not Hamas. His attention was extended for five, uh, five days ago for another 45 days. Why? So they can keep him in prison, beat, threaten him to say what they wanted to say and have him not out there to contest it. That's what's happening. And he points to this article, which we've already discussed. So you understand this, guys. This is from I-24. This is mainstream Israeli media. This is in 2017, where the Israeli court admitted that the Shin Bet, who we just discussed, who, by the way, is where Unit 8200 comes from, pressured a Palestinian man to lie so they could justify their actions. And if you think this is unique, take a look. There's a million examples of this. Of course, they're going to say it's a lie. or they, The point is, it's very real. This is just one example of the court itself finding the court says false confession may have been taken from the man who was arrested. So this is what they do. And the reality is it's a, it's a, it's a public, it's one of many open secrets. The way that they, in fact, now, gosh, darn it. I'm just remembering right now that I forgot an important part of this. I'll have to follow up on the next show. Cause I'm not, I don't know where I left it next show. Or will remind me. <laughs> There's a, there's a part of this that's important where it comes from another Israeli entity who's saying this is what they do. It's their, it's their tactic to coerce people in confession to say what they want. Either way, here is your precedent. You can see that it happens. So at the very least, you should go, well, is that the truth? We know they're capable of it, so let's ask whether or not that's the case. And let's ask whether or not this just seems to be a self-serving lie, even when, don't forget, what did they do before? They marched out one of the people that was super, like, he looked just like the other guy, super emaciated, shivering, who said that Al-Shifa was a Haman center for Hamas, right? Well, they lied. So right there is your example. They forced that guy to say Al-Shifa was a command center. He was lying. They forced him to lie. Now we know that. So that's when we should go, oh, okay, I see how this is working. 
and realize this is what they do. And again, the reactive propaganda that they get caught for literally burying people alive so they kidnap the director and force him to say it was Hamas Center. That's what I think happened. Decide for yourselves. And just to see how this works. And don't forget, this is another one of these people in their gray sweats who were released after being tortured and starved. Who is, of course, admitting that they use children to transport explosives in Gaza. Or at least that's what he's saying in this terror in this interrogation room. And let's not forget this, as we just showed you. Amnesty International has admitted, that, and this is November 8th, 2023, since the, October 7th, but long before that. But this is post-October 7th. Horrifying cases of torture, degrading treatment of Palestinian detainees. Why do you think that's happening, guys? It's amazing what people can dismiss when they're invested in a political side, isn't it? So, as they're, this one, just another long list of war crimes for Hamas. Well, probably, but you funded them, so doesn't that implicate you? That's pretty stupid of you to say. But here they are pretending that they're now allowing children to transport them. You know what that does now? Well, guess what? Now they can murder children and claim, well, Hamas made them transfer. Not our fault. Blame Hamas for all the 150 children we kill every day. There's more of the reactive propaganda. So you get caught for killing 150 children a day over the last 70, 79 days. And what do you do? You pretend that somebody claims they use children to promote to transfer explosives. And there you go. Guys, it's just unbelievable how obvious this is and how they keep getting caught. They just don't care. Well, let's talk about their own people that they don't care about. Here's Hen Mazig, another one of these propagandists, saying Hamas has rejected an Israeli proposal for a week-long truce for 40 hostages. When, when, when will the world understand Hamas is more interested in torturing 40 innocent people so we're to believe that they didn't do that to all that they released, but they kept these 40 to do that to them only? Why does that even logically make sense? Based on what we've all seen, that's not happening, Hen. Certainly possible. Because we're objective, we could argue that maybe they're being tortured, but to pretend that that's the we know for sure. When will the world see that all they want to do is torture them? Well, we didn't see that with the first people they released. They're currently still saying that they were treated kindly. Compare that to the people that weren't wherever I left that. Right there. Compare that to this guy. And you tell me that they're, they're the ones. Because they don't want peace. Despite the fact that they literally keep trying to achieve a peace deal. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. I guess you have a different definition of peace. They want the destruction of Israel and the genocide of Jews. No, they really don't. Even if it means their own people suffer. Like this is just a fantasy world. I'm not saying Hamas good guy. I'm not even saying that they genuinely want what they're proposing. But we can clearly see that one, there is always, there always has been influence from Israel. So I just think it's hilarious that none of these propagandists can factor in that if you're calling them out, well, then you're partly responsible for that. But at the end of the day, their own charter says that's not what they want. So you can argue they're lying, but you can't just keep pushing this, this idea that you claim they want when no one else is saying that. Nobody anywhere is saying that they want to see the genocide of the Jews. That's what you keep saying they wink-wink mean when they say any number of things. And even if their own people suffer, there's only one group killing Gazans right now. It doesn't matter if you, but you know, it's the whole stop beating yourself kind of thing. You, you know, you're forcing your brother to hit himself with his own arms. That's not his fault. You are the one doing it. 
But ultimately, the 40 hostages, the people that are still there claiming that they rejected it, it's a lie. He knows it's a lie. The reality is, as we've already proven this to you, and even the BBC, Associated Press, even the United Nations has had to admit this. Since the first week, they've they've had on the table a complete hostage exchange for a complete ceasefire. Not a temporary pause, complete. Now, if you argue that the only thing Israel is trying to accomplish, or primarily, is the people home, then you can't say that, well, that doesn't make sense because Hamas will... Okay, even if you argue that gives Hamas more time, maybe you're right. But you, you can't then say that the most important thing is the hostages. That's not true. Why wouldn't they just take the deal, bring them home, and then go after Hamas after that? It's an illusion they're selling you. As T- Tiberius said, no, Hamas said they wanted to end the war. Not a meaningless pause before the genocide begins again. But why would you begin telling your followers the truth now when you're so used to lying? It's right in Reuters. Hamas's stance remains. They don't have a desire for a humanitarian pause. Hamas wants a complete end to the Israeli war on Gaza. And if you read it, they go on to discuss the fact, as I've proven to you, since the first week, they've had an offer for everybody. Netanyahu lies about this. Han Mazig lies about this. Eli David lies about this. I said this liar is knowingly leaving out that Hamas offered a full hostage exchange and a complete end to the genocide, not some faux ceasefire guaranteeing more civilians will die. Of course, Israel refused since their own people are secondary to their ethnic cleansing agenda. It's very simple. Here, Eli David doing the same thing. And so don't miss how they're very clearly being coordinated in the direction they're taking. He puts out this of course, honest reporting. You got to love how absurd things are today. It says, do all the protesters blocking traffic in America realize that Hamas just rejected a ceasefire for hostage deals? You see how far they have to go to lie to you? They know they, they from, I can't speak to whether Eli is aware of anything, the, right, from a government perspective, are very aware that they have been ignoring these deals from the beginning. And in fact, if like if it was just a deal they didn't agree with, well, they could say that, but they didn't. For the very for the first 50 days, they were pretending, or whatever many days it was until that first fake pause, they were pretending there was no deal. Remember? Openly saying Hamas refuses to do no. That would that's obviously not true when Cutter had made it clear they offered all sorts of deals that you did not want because you stated to the corporate media that you want to deal with Hamas first. Oops. Sorry, it's too late. You already said you want to deal with Hamas first, right? Which means secondary are the hostages. Your people heard that. That's why they're protesting out front your house. That's why they're continuing to claim that you don't care about them. Americans can't seem to hear this, apparently. But as I said again, lying again, Eli, they turned down a temporary pause and instead offered a complete exchange for all hostages for a complete ceasefire. I guarantee you in their mind, they're going, well, we don't want that. Right. We don't want you to be able to. We don't want an end. They frame this as an end to the war on Hamas, which is not even what that means. Ultimately, obviously, they've broken ceasefires in the past. They can just say Hamas broke the fire again. But if they care about the hostages, it's an obvious, immediate way to bring them all home. And by the way, it's the only thing right now that what the Israeli population really pushed for. Israel refused that. 
So how in the world can you frame this as rejected a ceasefire when all they did was go, no, here's what we want for the full ceasefire. That's countering with a full ceasefire. So how could you, when you frame it as rejecting a ceasefire, it's not even just dishonor. You're flat out lying. And he knows that. These are disgusting people. I can't wait to see what the world looks like for people like this after this all falls apart. And as this person simply said, again, wrong again. Half-truth that taken out of context like true propagandists would. Hamas rejected the ceasefire for hostage cause uh, because of the deal offered was strictly. We stopped bombing for a week, then released 40 hostages or no deal. Of course, it was rejected because there's simply any... The point is we know what has already gone down and the idea of pretending a weak pause is going to change anything. All that really does is ultimately remove their leverage, which it's horrifying to think of people like that, but this is what they see it as. Their ability to maintain their... Like, eventually achieve some kind of a peace deal and eventually get all their people back. So if they're just slowly giving these people up and the time frame never stops, the point is eventually they're going to murder everybody. They know that. And they're only saying your only two options are surrender or die. Well, then your option is death because if they surrender, they're going to kill them. They've already made that clear. So all they're really doing is proving to anybody with a brain that they don't want this to end. And more lies about the people that they don't care about. That's that's the child of the Bebas family. He says this babe, which by the way, I just this guy's the worst out of all of them. He repeats these things. He's made this exact same post. I mean, actually, let's just do this. I think it altered a little bit based on the recent deal. But I I, I keep posting this when I keep when I'm seeing him do this because I want people to see that he is not just being propagandist. But it's ultimately, looks like that's the only one there, ultimately repeating the same things over and over. Like the image of that person being shot and he posted it three times over the last couple of days. Or, you know, it just continues to happen over and over. So why is that? Why, why are you repetitively spamming these things? And I think it's partly because you're using this suffering to gain probably money on Twitter. But I think it's because there's, this is direction. But as I said this, you tr they tried to return their bodies. Well, read what he said. The baby is still being held in by Hamas. It's not true. And they refused to release him in the hostage shield. None of that's true. Israel admitted that wasn't true. In which world are babies hostages? Well, no one's denying that Hamas committed... Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not denying, denying Hamas committed crimes. Obviously. That's the, it's this fantasy world where they act like either you believe what Israel's saying or you're on the other side of this like Jew-hating mania. It's just, it's an illusion. Frankly, I don't, I don't know anybody that exists on the side that they're pointing at. But as I said, they tried to return their bodies, which I reported, after being killed by Israeli airstrikes. Israel refused that. And then immediately went back to fighting, acting like Hamas broke the deal. I think, and I maintain it, they did not want these bodies to be re returned. They became a central ploy for the Israeli government, which is disgusting, but it's obvious. There's even articles written about how they became like the famous family because of the red hair. And they knew they were dead and they were using their memory. But, says, but keep using them like you use everybody else, I wrote. And I pointed out the dumb bombs. Just that alone, knowing that they're dropping bombs that they don't know, it's indiscriminate. 
50% of what they've used. But we're going to pretend that they're doing everything they can to avoid anything? Here's the Bebas father. A video that was released with him telling anybody listening that his family was killed by an Israeli airstrike. Of course, you may not know that because nobody wants you to see these things. They act like it's all psychological propaganda. Well, it is that probably too. But we need to realize that the women that came on that video that said, are you trying to kill us? Who then were released are still saying that. They're now at home saying, I was terrified the IDF would murder me and blame it on Hamas. That's what they're saying, guys. So when they called it psychological propaganda, well, at the very least, she wasn't lying when she said that. So Hamas may have used it, but it was true. So same point here. This person just goes, for Hamas's own sake, they better be lying. Well, I mean, you don't want this to be the truth, but the reality is they've already killed many of these people. And here's Dan Cohen pointing out in reporting on the deaths of the Bebas family, CBS. And realize, guys, this was on the 30th of November. And yet here's Eli David on the four. This is today. Still using their memory. Release them now. They're, they were killed. Even if you pretend that's Hamas, the despicable concept of using their memory to coerce people into choosing what you want them to. It's This is just subhuman stuff, guys. The worst of humanity. But in this reporting of the deaths of the family, CBS is forced to acknowledge that they were killed by Israeli airstrikes. Instead of pressing Israeli officials on slaughtering their own people in addition to 20,000 Palestinians, the reporter shrieks at a Hamas official. Israel can never be questioned by the Western media, even when it kills its own people. Here is one of the people who were there. One of the many. Don't, let's not, don't forget that this was already admitted by numerous people that have come home. They were literally cowering next to other Hamas members, all hiding together because they were all afraid they were going to be killed by these IDF bombings. Many of them have permanent hearing damage. That was reported by corporate media. This is an Israeli detainee. Her name is Sahar Calderon, speaking to the New York Times. It's in, there's in subtitles. You can listen to it for yourself. It says, during detention, I told myself many times that I would die here in the end because of Israeli missiles and not because of Hamas. This is why they don't want these people to come home. Because when they do, they tell you a story that makes the Israeli government look like exactly what we're saying. Quote, many of them were killed by Israeli missiles that intentionally targeted civilians. Let that sink in, guys. Now, you wonder why the Israeli population is protesting this government. Dan Cohen writes that Daniel Byman of Beltway Think Tank, CSIS, writes that Israel is killing Israeli captives in Gaza and will kill many more. In other words, they're executing the Hannibal Directive. It says, quote, conducting high-intensity military operations while trying to free prisoners is exceptionally difficult. Friendly fire by the IDF has killed some Israeli prisoners, and IDF bombing has undoubtedly killed more. Oops. If military operations continue, Israel will likely be able to liberate some of those kidnapped, but it will also be losing many of them in the fighting. Right, just like I told you. So they'll dig through the rubble and save who they can after the fact. Does that sound like the primary objective is saving the Israeli population or the Israeli captives? No. You don't matter to them. At the very least, you're less important than their agenda. And here is another video released by Hamas. 
So now that we know that the women that were released who are still saying that they were afraid they were going to be killed and we have more, that's what three or four of them now admitting that they were terrified of being killed by the IDF. So you can't keep pretending one, like this is Hamas killing them or two, that ultimately this is only psychological propaganda. Now, what this is, it's a video showing the three hostages that were killed by Israel. The three men who literally waved white flags and were shot anyway. And all it's doing is showing that they're healthy, sitting around. I mean, of course, you could say they're making them smile, which is probably likely. But that they're killed now. Here they are sitting in wherever they were. Comfortable, it looks like. Whatever, I shouldn't even do that. Who knows? Maybe they're lying about that. My point is, they were alive until they were shot by the IDF. How many do you think that is in this story? Now, let's finish with the discussion of the United Nations and what this really means for where we're going. Let me close some of these real quick. Okay, finishing. Now, I already showed you these ones, just to give you the starting point again. Let's not forget, there's been a lot more than this has been happening, but I think this is a good place to keep it in your mind. On the 12th of December, the United Nations generally General Assembly, and don't forget, they're different from the Security Council, General Assembly, like there's different, the, the Security Council is where we're continuing to see the vetoes for the most part, or actually, no, wait, uh, which one is it that doesn't? Hold on, I think it was the, believe it was General Assembly. I know in the Security Council, we've already seen them veto. But the point is, they tried to vote for this in the Assembly to demand an immediate ceasefire. And they passed it. Oh, so that's right. So it's the Security Council with the veto, I believe. Now, the point is, the only question at this point I asked was whether Israel was going to abide by it. Right? There's, it's just a resolution. There's no physical will behind it. They're just supposed to follow because they act like the United Nations when, you know, they use it all the time to act like they're supposed to listen to what the UN said when clearly they don't all the time. This was on the 20th to the 12th. Nothing has stopped, right? And this was after they had already vetoed one. So the U.S. vetoed one. They got it now. They got it to hold a second vote in the General Assembly, which without vetoes and they passed it. Okay. Nothing changed. Now, on the 12th, oh, never mind, this was this was the same one, just showing you the vote. I forgot I wanted to show you that. This is important going forward because the reality is they're increasingly losing support with every single vote. So at this point, this was on the one that passed. There was no veto. Nonetheless, all the U.S. and Israel, of course, voted no. They don't want, and, and let's not forget, one of the primary points they were voting for, guys, the unconditional release of all hostages. Israel and the U.S. voted no. They just, the point is they don't want to stop murdering people in Gaza, or you can frame it as they don't want to stop going after Hamas. Either way, it means that they're willing to keep killing their own people to do it because they return, they refuse to go to take them back. And let's not forget, this is while they're still pretending that they're the ones refusing it. It's just grotesque, isn't it? It's the worst of the worst. So the point is they voted along with the Democracy-loving countries of Austria, Chechnya, Guatemala, Liberia, Micronesia, Papua New Guinea, Paraguay. <clears throat> Not to diminish those countries. My point is just the, the idea that they always frame themselves on the side of like the Western democracy of the world when clearly nobody supports this right now. 
23 abstained, 10 voted no, 153 in favor, nothing changed. So to going bringing this to today, <clears throat> we had a bunch of votes today, which I think you'll find very interesting. First of all, one of the ones that actually was, uh, you know, again, let's not forget that none of these have any like real world action other than the kind of like moral coercion of the rest of the people going, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? But the UN voted on a permanent sovereignty of the Palestinian people. So it's just kind of like a sentiment, right? The point is they 158 voted in favor. Israel and the U.S. and only four other countries voted against it. Micronesia, what is that? Nauru, Palu, and Canada. <laughs> That's it. And yet they stand up and act like everybody's in agreement that we're all fighting this entity. It's just so very clear that even if all these people believe that they should be fighting Hamas, they don't believe that's what this is. Very clear. And yet, and rightly to point out, other than Canada, tiny countries. They have no support. So they voted successfully, I guess, to just enshrine on the record the permanent sovereignty of Palestine, which is really frustrating for people pretending like Palestine doesn't exist. Think about how dumb that is. The old Laurel Loomer never existed and they're all terrorists, right? Let that reflect on the lack of the intelligence or lack thereof of the people saying such ridiculous things. But here is what Russia said at the UN in regard to one of the things they were trying to pass. It said by signing off, and this is simply in regard to a, it was a ceasefire and hostage exchange. And it said by signing off on this resolution, the UN Security Council would essentially be giving the Israeli armed forces complete freedom of movement for further clearing of the Gaza Strip. Now, this is the watered down version coming off of what they voted for here. Complete ceasefire, all hostage exchange, right? So this got watered down. And the point is now they got to the point to where what Russia was saying is all you really did was in the language, the watered down language you added essentially gave them the right to continue genocide. Guess what? All they really want here, it seems. And that's what, all, that's what we keep pointing out. And now it says... Uh, and complete movement all over the Gaza Strip. And it says anyone who votes in favor of this text, as it is currently worded, would bear responsibility for that, essentially becoming complicit in the destruction of Gaza. It says the text of the draft has lost a reference to condemnations of all indiscriminate attacks on civilians. Now, why would you remove something like that? Because you know you're conducting indiscriminate attacks on civilians. It says what signal does this send to the international community? that the Security Council is giving Israel a green light for war crimes. A vote on this amendment can be a moment of truth to show who of the members of the Security Council want to end violence in Gaza and save the lives of civilians, and who is guided by conjunctual considerations. Colleagues, the way that this text is worded currently is the main thing that the U.S. needs from this resolution. Hear what he's saying there. I'll just wait. I'll give you somebody else's point that makes it really clear. The point that he's making, though, is that this is all the U.S. needs. They're constantly acting like they need some larger thing. And really, all they're trying to achieve is the continuation of their sort of whitewash and, and obfuscation of what their involvement is. Acting like they're doing what they can within a broken system. No, they're making this. That's why they keep the single veto often enough from the United States. When, with that, without that veto... Arguably, you could bring this to an end. It says, under a cunning phrase containing the words, creating the conditions for a secession of hostilities, 
which is meaningless, means how long, you know, that means Israel can murder everybody until they argue now we can fight for a ceasefire. Israel will be the will be given for free hand to further non-time limited, entirely unrestrained, indiscriminate bombing of the civilian infrastructure and the civilian population of Gaza. So the continuation of what's currently happening. Few days, the Security Council and together with it, the entire world has been witness to the last, the latest, and I'm not afraid to use this word, shameful, cynical, and irresponsible conduct of the United States, which is trying to avoid responsibility for the further use of the veto, right? Because people see them. They're the only one holding this up. So they create this weird language where they can vote for it, which waters down the actual outcome. It says resorting to all sorts of means of sabotaging the Security Council's adoption of a decision of Gaza on Gaza. The United States, under various pretexts, has begun dragging out the negotiating process, deviating from the normal transparent negotiating work. Instead of this, they have resorted to their favored tactics of gross pressure, blackmail, twisting arms, so that the last minute, at the last minute, being able to present the members of the council with an ultimatum. Either the council adopts a text that is convenient for Washington, or the United States will once again block the adoption of any product. The draft that is now being put to the vote, which passed, was initially, in our view, Russia says, entirely toothless. But respecting the initiative of our Arab colleagues and their needs, we were ready to support it under pressure from the USA that essentially intercepted the authorship and usurped work on the text behind the scenes at various levels, twisting the hands of those in the region. The Russian amendment got 10 votes in favor and was vetoed by the United States. That's first. Of course. Now, once they added stuff to it, this is where it gets different. Or oh, this is the same vote. Just showing you what they wrote, the, the countries involved. Voting for a ceasefire, U.S. no. Continues to hold this down. Continues to. Now, then we get to the point to where we, we what they're discussing of adding in all the things that water this down to the point to where it is essentially an illusion of process. The UN Security Council then adopts the resolution allowing for expanded humanitarian aid to access Gaza. But it says it was reported that Russia abstained because they wanted to include ceasefire language, which is the whole point, guys, which was rejected by the US. That's what, it, that's what, the, that's what Russia was talking about. Now, but this, you end up getting both of them abstaining. Now, I want to add to this, by the way, as we get closer to 2024, the importance of abstention. I wrote this in 2018, while your vote no longer counts. The true power of abstention. Now, the reality here, guys, you may not even know what this word means. Ask yourself why in the founding, the room of the, you know, the founding fathers, why they were allowed to abstain in their process, right? Why in the UN, they're allowed to abstain from the vote. And ask yourself why, despite the fact that it is a cornerstone of the voting process and was in, in the beginning of this country and still should be, that you don't get allowed that option. You know why? Because it can be used, sort of like jury nullification, to circumvent their power. There should be an option on every vote for abstain. That does not mean I'm not participating. That does not mean I don't care or I don't know. It means you are choosing and in fact voting abstention. So on the record, Ryan Christian abstains. Now, you 
you don't have to include a reason there, but the reasonings typically include. I don't feel like this is a legal vote. I don't feel like all the options are represented. I don't feel, I mean, any number of things, I feel like this is an invalid process. Whatever it is, you can abstain and protest. They act like that means that you're not participating. That's because they're afraid of what you could do with that. Imagine 90% of the population abstains in protest. Suddenly, it's pretty clear that they're not legitimate. They don't want that. Now, even if you did abstain and put it down, I'm willing to bet you the first move would be to not to count it anyway. I think, I, I, had, a, I had a thought about this. Maybe I should run for president under the name abstain. <laughs> I get, literally get abstain on the ballot. Like, vote for me and abstain. But anyway, the point is, guys, remember what power you actually have. If you don't know what jury nullification is, there's a reason for that. It's because, at its simplest terms, it allows a jury in a jury trial to essentially decide for whatever reason. There's numerous reasons you can, you know, whether, like, let's say you don't think the law is just. Well, the jury can literally decide to, 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 to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Remove him. I can't remember the world all of a sudden. Not not commit or acute. Basically, see him not, um, again, I'm going to say not guilty, but that's not the right word. Acquit. Excuse me. Acquit. And they can do that because the jury, those 12 people, whether or not the judge disagrees or the lawyer, they can say we disagree. And that stands. And the reason they don't want the average person to know that is because that gives the average person power. It's the only thing they're afraid of is power in the hands of the average person because they know we see them. So my point in showing you that is just to ask that question since abstain was coming up. Now, back to the point. Here's the U.S. ambassador standing up and celebrating the passage of the U.N. aid and hostage release resolution, even though Biden forced it to be watered down and even though she didn't even vote for it. This is like the perfect microcosm. This is the epitome of what the United States government is. They they vote they they voted against this. It says today the US council she says today this council provided a glimmer of hope amongst the sea of unimaginable suffering. Or excuse me abstain. She they said you abstained from this vote. We as a country did not even have the courage to vote yes for a resolution we demand be watered down. This is my this is the point Russia was saying. This is cowardly. You are trying to hide the fact that you you don't want to have to use the veto because it puts all the pressure on you. But if you abstain, then you don't have to be seen in support of it either. So this is cowardice. But nonetheless, they stand up and go, "Oh, ma, a glimmer of hope amongst the sea." You didn't even vote for it. Just think about how gross that is. Like you they need they're trying to take credit for something that they didn't even want. Or rather they're too cowardly to support. It's just incredible. But the ultimate point is it comes down to a watered-down resolution that allows Israel to keep doing what it's doing. That's the point. Not a real hostage exchange and not a real ceasefire of any kind. The United Security, the UN Security Council resolution is a complete failure. Humanitarian aid will increase. And as far as I can tell, I don't even see any real, real momentum behind the hostage exchange. The only thing that should matter is a complete, a complete ceasefire with a complete hostage exchange. For everybody's benefit, for the civilians. The only group that doesn't benefit from that is the Israeli government. But it says humanitarian aid will increase, barely, but Israel's airstrikes will continue and killing civilians will continue. Gaza needs an immediate ceasefire. 
We must keep calling for this. Now, here is the update from Al Jazeera. Security Council passes diluted Gaza resolution. And here is the censored news pointing out that the electronic intifada had a little stream. And this was with the uh, with Craig uh, Mokhyber, human rights lawyer. Here's what he says. Called it a hol- call it a hollowed out resolution that after this is after the U.S. threatened to veto it. Right. This is what Russia was saying. They know they can use that to coerce them. I mean, what is what is democratic about this? They have absolute power and they can just strong arm people or veto it. But it says this is another fig leaf that allows the U.S. to avoid domestic and global condemnation for its complicity in this genocide. It's cowardice. He made these comments on the Intifada live stream. And this was uh, post his day at the very least. And if you can stomach this, here is what the Department of State said. In a year of profound tests, the world looked to the United States to lead. We did. As we head into 2024, we will continue to stand shoulder to shoulder with those who share our vision for a free, open, prosperous, and secure world. Senator Blinken said this, if you can hold back your laughter. As she said, no, they didn't. No one asked you to lead. You are not fit to lead. You are not. You are genocidal criminals. Your solidarity blood, your your solitary blood-stained arm raised over the UN Security Council, blocking a vote to end a genocidal war. You are on your own. A lone Western perversion, a hideous immoral anomaly. Do not take that as an acu- as a, a attack on the people of the United States. If we by now cannot understand the difference between the governments and the peoples of a country, you're the you're still being played by the government. And this is why this is so embarrassing. Oh, there it is. I included it over here. But where was that actually? The vote. I guess I did move that. Hold on. This was. So just any one of these. So here he is talking about how we were called on to lead and we stood shoulder to shoulder with, with who exactly? With Liberia? With Micronesia? With Israel? Pretty clearly you're standing shoulder to shoulder with the minority, with 10 people. The vast majority of the world stood shoulder to shoulder in opposition to what you were trying to do. It doesn't stop them from, just like I showed you, the epitome of what they are, standing up and going, hooray, we did this together. That's what he's doing. She just did it right there, even though they abstained. Here's Blinken doing the same thing. We will continue to stand with nobody, because no one's with you, to lead for a world that nobody wants you to lead. These are dying entities, right? This is the this is the cornered animal lashing out, acting irrationally, where everybody, and you could see it in what they're doing today. Do not hear this as an attack on the government or the country of the United States. They are not the same thing. These are people who are siphoning off everything you believe this country means every moment until you can see through enough of them to realize that we don't need them. But he wants you to believe that he's fighting for you. It's gross. Now, those same people, by the way, are the ones that are doing this. Iranian ship provides Houthi intelligence to targeted vessels. Iran paramilitary helps them attack these vessels, sources say. Certainly possible. I mean, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at this point after they've been basically attacked and, and supplanted and manipulated and lied about their entire, I mean, for how long now? Since the last Operation Ajax manipulation? It's just, but my point is there's no evidence to that. 
And I would, I would actually be surprised if Iran was doing that because it didn't seem very much in their interest at the moment because they would just be used like this. But all I said is funny how that works. U.S. intelligence sources say exactly what manufactures the consent that they want, but do not need, don't forget that, in order to carry out the agenda that they already have planned. Hashtag democracy. Now, I want to read through this. Actually, I forgot I have the screenshots. But this is from the, the meetings of the 19th. Very revealing points in here that show you the exact opposite of what Blinken tries to pretend he's standing shoulder to shoulder with. Here's what it says. Addressing the Middle East, and there's a lot in here, by the way. There's a lot. They go over a lot of different little votes about different things. Some of it has to do with the 2030 agenda. I highlighted one of those. Read through it. It's pretty crazy what they're constantly doing. But just focused here, addressing the Middle East, it says, the assembly took up the report, permanent sovereignty of the Palestinian people, which we showed you, in, guess what, though? The occupied Palestinian territories, that's Gaza, West Bank, including East Jerusalem. That's never going to fly with Israel. And guess what? Of the Arab population in the occupied Syrian Golan Heights. All these things where people have been screaming, that's not real. That's not occupied. You're a terrorist. You're an anti-Semite. And I'm not saying it's the truth because the UN says it. It's the truth because it's the truth. And it's easy to prove. It's an illegally occupied part of Syrian territory. So all they're really doing is we're seeing this shift so strongly to where they're just, now it's just, they're coming out. Permanent sovereignty, Palestinian people, give back East Jerusalem, allow, give back the Golan Heights. All this is illegally occupied territory by Israel. Golan Heights, illegal. Lebanon, illegal. We'll go to that in a minute. It's hilarious. They're just acting like, now what they're doing is trying to hide, basically with what, 1.8 million people displaced in Gaza, probably all of them for all we know. And what does he do? Mr. Propagandist for the day of October 7th? 80,000 people have been displaced in northern Israel. Well, that's not even really what's happening. We'll get into it in a second. And it's all illegally occupied territory. But they adopted this, of course, with the U.S. against it, with Canada against it, with Israel against it. Because how dare we allow them to have sovereignty? But it says, by its terms, the assembly demanded that Israel, the occupying power, which, by the way, listen up, Loomer, is the truth, cease the exploitation damage, cause of loss or depletion, and endangerment of the natural resources in the occupied Palestinian territory, including East Jerusalem and Golan Heights, which, by the way, proves that, yes, they're also siphoning off the resources, and yes, they're also depleting them, damaging them, exploiting them. Doesn't align with the narrative, does it? Look at them. Hamas is stealing everything. No, that's the Israel working with Hamas narrative. The truth is they have been starving and occupying and brutally subjugating these people for 75 years. And all they do is act like it's their fault, just like every other situation, right? Look at Iran's powers out. Look at how bad they are. Oh, maybe it's because you had a cyber attack. Or look at Venezuela. Look at how they're all starving. Maybe it's because you've been starving them. Look at Yemen. They can't even run their country. Yep, because you've run a starvation campaign and a massive attack on them. For, like, that's how this game is played. Because they used to be safely in the area where most Americans didn't know all this stuff. That's rapidly changing. Further to the draft, it recognized the right of the Palestinian people to claim restitution as a result of any exploitation, damage, loss, or depletion of endangerment of their resources. That, I guarantee you, is never going to rest with the Israeli government. 
meaning they have to take measures to basically repay them for everything they've stolen. Also by the text, and by the way, this passed, but don't forget that. It called upon Israel to halt all actions, including those perpetuated by Israeli settlers, harming the environment, including the dumping of all kinds of waste materials in the occupied Palestinian territory. All this truth is coming out. Meaning they do dump waste materials inside the area and blame them for where they're living. Or they do harm the area, the environment, cutting down their olive trees. I mean, it's crazy. It's all very obvious. Going on, it says, in an echo in an echo of last year's spirited debate, the Assembly adopted a text on combating the glorification of Nazism. I found that interesting. So this, this did adopt. But what I thought was funny is, let's not, do you remember who voted that down last time? The U.S. government. The U.S. government votes against an anti-Nazi resolution in 2016, a couple of years after they basically started growing their Nazi entity in Ukraine. <laughs> well, I guess that's run its course. So now they're going to come back and go, now we're done. Go ahead. Now we'll, 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 we'll vote again. We'll adopt the resolution combating the glorification of the very thing we just glorified in Ukraine for three years. Interesting, isn't it? And, and don't forget, Israel voted that down, too. As amended and in, in the last time, as amended, they passed this and as a whole by recorded vote of 118 in favor to 49 against. In its terms, the assembly expressed alarm at the spread in many parts of the world of various extremist political parties, including. Where was it? Well, my point was, we, you know, Ukraine, obvious. We have the obvious continual growth of the rapidly extremist Zionist group in Israel. As don't forget, even the religious Zionism part of their coalition was called extremist by even the ADL. But it's saying ideologies and groups of a racist or xenophobic character, including neo-Nazi skinheads, of course. But I find that very interesting. The timing of it, while they're now calling Hamas Nazis, even though that like is makes even less sense than calling them ISIS, but it's all kind of conflating. But then the overlap with Ukraine increasingly becomes interesting now that we can prove that there are Ukrainian elements in fight, fighting in Gaza, as we just talked about. But it says in another notable action, the assembly adopted a resolution on the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. Also important. Guess who voted against that? Israel, Micronesia, Nauru, and the United States. So how do you explain that? This is not saying in Gaza. It's not saying only in Israel. It's simply saying that we vote in favor of the Palestinian to have the right to determine their own direction. Isn't that exactly what Israel pretends they're trying to do? Fight off Hamas so they can have their own? Isn't that what they pretend they've been trying to do with a two-state solution? No, guys, they don't want that. It's obvious. It's made no more obvious than right there when they literally have the only vote about whether they just have a right to self-determination and they vote no. End of that conversation. Israel and the U.S. do not want the Palestinian people to have a right to determine their own future, despite all of their feeble lies. It says it stressed the urgency of ending the Israeli occupation and achieving the lasting peace settlement between the Palestinian and Israeli sides. Addressing that text, the representative of Egypt said the world, the world is witnessing the collective punishment against the Palestinian civilians. That's Egypt, mind, mind you. While the Security Council has failed to fulfill its responsibility to uphold international peace and security, everybody's turned against them. Adding to that, Cuba's delegate underscored that peace cannot be achieved when an entire people have been subjected 
subjugated to colonialization, apartheid, and genocide by Israel. <clears throat> it says this year, I'll read this one next, actually, since it's based on the Cuban representative. The representative of Cuba said Israel is, per uh, is perpetuating a fully-fledged genocide against the Palestinian people with two months of indiscriminate bombing and military operations against the civilian population of Gaza. The destruction of housing, hospitals, civilian infrastructure, deprivation of food and electricity, and the forced displacement of hundreds of thousands of people. This is collective punishment, he said, and I agree, noting Israel's grave violations of international humanitarian law, including war crimes, crimes against humanity. The Palestinian people have seen their rights violated for decades, while their lands have been occupied and they have been subjected to practices of apartheid. Expressing regret about the death of civilians and innocent people from both parties to the conflict, he said there cannot be peace when an entire people have been subjugated and colonialized and apartheid and genocide. Now, lastly, it says this year, the assembly adopted the consensus, three new texts, including on enhancing the contrib contributions of the commission on crime prevention and criminal justice to the accelerated implementation of the 2030 agenda for sustainable development, equal access to justice for all and the protection of human rights in the context of digital technologies by which it called on the states to consider implementing legislation that protects individuals against human rights violations in the digital context. Oh, okay. So we care about human rights violations in the digital world, but who cares if they keep murdering people with bombs, right? I just want to include that, that in this, they're, they're discussing this stuff rapidly. Let's not forget Derek's discussion about this very point, exposing the digital ID as a human rights scam. That's what that's about, right? Discussing the idea that the, Protection, you know, in the context of digital technologies, implementing legislation that protects their rights of human rights. Like the idea they're arguing is that it, they have a human right to have a digital ID. That's what they're actually arguing right there, even though that's the exact opposite. As the NY School of Law argued, it's paving the road to a digital hell. That's their words. So it's coming. Don't forget that. But this is what they're working on. Now, despite the continuation of humanitarian aid, they claim, the point is it's already been driven to the brink, if not the actual starvation of many people. This is from Oxfam, saying Gaza's shocking descent, and this is from yesterday, shocking descent into starvation was so predictable as to be premeditated, because it was, an ongoing war crime by the government of Israel. While over 90% of people in Gaza cannot find their next meal, some UN Security Council member states are still toying with words rather than voting for a ceasefire. That's what's happening. That's what just happened, by the way. They called it, and then the next day, literally happened. They bounced the words back and forth. They try to avoid being seen as the one holding it up, when all they really want is to allow Israel to keep doing what they're doing. Your government allowed that. Pretty much wherever you are, unless you're in... Well, no, I take that back. Depends on which one we're talking about. But the reality is specifically the U.S. government and Israel have done everything in their power to maintain this. And meanwhile, they're doing this in the background because it doesn't, you know, totally screams rules-based international order to kind of secretly ask Switzerland to waive the Geneva Convention so you can keep bombing Gaza, right? We're following the international law explicitly, but hey, Switzerland, can you just go and waive that for us so we can actually do it real? Rules of war banning inhumane treatment of POWs, which we know they're doing, and civilians, which we know they're doing, should not be invoked, says U.S. diplomats behind the scenes as U.S. complicity in Israeli war crimes becomes explicit. This is from Squawk Box. You can read it for yourself. 
The idea is that they're actively trying to find some kind of legal rationale to make this not what we all have already realized it is. So simple answer, these are criminals. That's all it is. These are criminals, guys. They're criminals pretending to be governments that care about you. Read Whitney's book and it'll all make a lot more sense. Now here is this guy I was talking about, Elon Levy. So on December 12th, UNRWA, the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency, said Israel has imposed a near-total siege on Gaza. Clearly it has. Inflicting collective punishment on over 2 million people, half of whom are children. Now, despite the term collective punishment, is that in any way inaccurate? Let me me just read it as if I was Israel. We have imposed a near-total siege on Gaza to go after Hamas. And if anybody is hurt in there, it's because Hamas won't surrender. Okay, fine. You, You say it however you want. How is that different from near two, 2 million people, half of whom are children, under siege. Blame it on Hamas, whatever. You're still doing that. So it's amazing to me that that's all they really get. So he sa- they say this, which is collective punishment by every definition of the term. Then it says the meager supplies that Israel has been allowing in have little effect on what's happening, which, guys, it's undeniably true. You can, that's why Oxfam was just saying they're 90% don't even have food. Here's how he responds to this. United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency is running full-on propaganda for Hamas by stating the obvious reality. This is how desperate they are. And the world needs to call it out. Well, the world already did call it out, bud. And we all see right through you, right? This is the world calling it out. Right there. That's the world calling it out. 158 of them going ceasefire right now. End it all. The world is not on your side. It's just, it's just time for the fraction of the world that doesn't know that to become aware of that and realize that if you somehow support what they're doing, you're on the wrong side of history. He says, Israel has placed zero restrictions on humanitarian necessities. Do you realize how easy to prove that that's not true? Right in the beginning, Israel publicly stated that they don't want any trucks coming through. They don't want to see any waiting in line. So they were forced to bring away trucks that were waiting to come through. Then they've been holding this off by bombing the crossing, which they've done numerous times, or literally stated by Oxfam, by the United Nations, by people from the international community who are there publicly acknowledging that they won't let aid through. But what else can they do but lie about it, guys? It says, and we have excess capacity to inspect trucks for Hamas smuggling. Oh, okay. Got it. So guess what, guys? It's Hamas's fault. I'd love, to, I'd love to see you prove that, Elon. Guess what? We don't have time. You racist. That's kind of the response you'd expect, right? Well, so it's Hamas's fault that you delay the process. Is Hamas in the crossing area between here? No, no, they have control of that area. Okay. So you're telling me that it's Hamas's fault that you inspect them before they go into the area where Hamas has access to them. Okay. Do you not realize how dumb that is? Like if you think barely past the statement, But you see, they play on the ignorance of the average person. Terrorist promoting blood libel. Blood libel going back to some blood drink, some old allegation against Jews. Blood libel to point out a siege that you've admitted you're doing or an obvious product of that siege, whoever's involved. I mean, gosh darn it, these guys are ridiculous. And my point about this, guys, first, here he is literally calling out them, saying UN is working for Hamas. That's what he's saying right there. For full-on propaganda for Hamas, right? Here's Eli Ridiculous saying they are Hamas. You know, just jumping the gun right to the point. 
We know we want to conflate these things. So Eli, with his clumsy propaganda, just goes, well, they are Hamas. Simple, right? Now, anything they say is Hamas. So it's easy, right? Hamas fan, Hamas wall, Hamas calendar, Hamas UN. It's simple. Okay. Here's what he says on the 19th. Well, first of all, this, uh, this U.S. correspondent for N12 News, so an Israeli platform, says U.N. Security General Antonio Guterres watched the IDF atrocities movie, even calling it a movie now. Yeah, because it's, it's not genuine. It is straight up propaganda. You're watching about, and this is what I've heard from pretty much everybody that's talked about this, not just the ones that come out and say, everything they said was true, but anyone that wants to honestly talk about what they saw, like Owen Jones, that says that it didn't prove anything they claimed it proved. Which, by the way, since I brought that up, I'll just include it for you. Show you next. But realize that the vast majority of it are after effects, like what you see of people on the ground, and so you don't know who's responsible. So when you show a bunch of burned bodies, well, we already know that was IDF bombings. When you show a bunch of destroyed buildings, well, we already know that they weren't capable of doing that. That was IDF, either bombings or tanks. We have an admission from people on the Biere, a big festival, that the IDF shot people. So my point is, you can show a whole bunch of dead bodies in the ground and, and add context, and that makes people think certain things. But none of this is showing anything they claim it really is. And that's the point here. Owen Jones, making this all clear. Here, this is uh, Owen Jones, from a, he's a Guardian columnist. And he says it's, it's two hours or 25 minutes. You can watch it. What he says is there's no proof of beheaded babies. There's no proof of Hamas killing children. No proof of rape. No proof of beheading baby, uh, beheadings alive in general. And then there is actually proof that they were asking them whether they were civilians or not. None of, I mean, everything adds up with exactly what we've been talking about. So what she says is Antonio Guterres just got forced to watch this movie. So, and it's full of scary music and edited cut scenes. It's ridiculous. And I've got this from people that saw it. It says, and this, it says, we reported today, it was a private screening organized by the ambassador. The secretary general said after watching the movie, that what he saw was human beings at their worst. That's an interesting statement, actually, because it doesn't seem to say what you usually you're used to hearing. So yeah, whoever did that is the human beings at their worst, for sure. Interesting. But then he says, now let's work that language into the UN Security Council resolution. Having resolved that the Hamas atrocities of October 7th massacre showed human beings at their worst, the United Nations demands the worst people's unconditional surrender. (laughs) This is so stupid. I mean, it really is. It's just kind of naive, like that's even going to make sense. But but the idea is what they're showing does not prove anything other than people were hurt that day. You already tried to pass off burned bodies as civilians that turned out to be Hamas members, as even Robert told you the day that Chuck Costello shared that and then deleted it, right? They lied about that. They, he and many of them lied about beheaded babies. They still do. They keep lying about women's stomachs being cut open. They keep pushing these lies. The entire rape allegation has yet to be proven. That's not because I want that, guys. That's the simple reality. You'll find that out no matter how invested you are eventually because there is no real-world forensic evidence. There's only allegations, many of which have been proven to be false. I, I brought it up so many times, it's not worth the time right now to show you the image that was from 2022. So he's saying that this... And him seeing this video is now supposed to change the resolution. Well, Jack says, so Israel funded a group that committed atrocities against its own citizens. Does Israel know, does Israeli public know you funded Hamas? That's his point. Which, same old point. 
okay, if everything you're saying is true, doesn't that mean that Netanyahu at the very least is responsible for it? It's it's just very revealing to people that are objective that they don't ever address that. You have to, if you're going to be honest about it. But the other point, didn't you just say that the United Nations was Hamas? Right, so they're running propaganda for Hamas, or they are Hamas. But then you go, but the UN, Hamas, put this in your resolution, Hamas. Yeah, or obviously they're just being hyperbolic and saying whatever they can in the moment to trick you into thinking something they want you to think. And in any given moment, they'll be like, UN, do what we want. That's how silly this is. Well, here he is. First of all, posting this the 19th, international officials are deflecting blame onto Israel to cover up the fact that they're covering up for Hamas. Like he just goes flip-flopping back and forth. And what's he showing? The hospital director, who was in fact not Hamas, who was part of the group they kidnapped, who they were forced to admit weren't Hamas, who was coerced into saying, I guess what they pretend he says in this still shot. I've still yet to see the video itself. But even then, we've already proven that Shin Bet has been repeatedly forcing people to give false testimony. Because this, this is WHO saying as a poll by the effect, the effective destruction of the Kamal Adwin Hospital. This is my point. So they get called out. So what do they do? They kidnap the director and force him to say that there's Hamas there. After the fact. That's reactive propaganda. And he said, and this says, do you do the people who still believe in the promise of the United Nations and attach moral authority to it understand how poorly they are served by agencies that systematically cover up for terrorists? Halfway through, I was with you, man. The UN is ridiculous. The UN is not something you should believe in or blindly trust, but it has its uses. It's simply just this. I pointed it out when Bolivia stood up and called out the United States before they conducted a regime change, right? I called it out on the record. I said, here it comes. Get ready. And then it did. The point, though, is that they're trying to conflate this with the idea that the UN is Hamas or they are covering for terrorists, which I just, I, it's certainly in some level of this, but the UN is not just one thing. There's multifaceted things going on here. My point is still the same. Do the world realize that the UN is working against them and fighting for terrorism? But hey, United Nations, do this for me. Elon, you're, it's embarrassing, man. That's ridiculous. The United Nations says hostilities along the border between Lebanon and Israel have significantly escalated in recent days. This is the United Nations saying this on the 20th. 64,000 people have been displaced from South Lebanon. Now, the United Nations as a general body is very aware that the areas are occupied. Lebanon is being occupied in part by Israel. I'll show it to you right in their documentation or uh, from an article and Wikipedia. Here's what he says. Also, 80,000 people have been displaced from northern Israel. Like, think about how ridiculous it is while you've just displaced almost 2 million people while murdering their families in front of them to act like people who are being settled in an occupied area who have been forced to resettle inside a comfortable area are somehow the ones being displaced. It's the same as saying the people who were there on October 7th who are currently living in hotels are somehow being displaced. No, they, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they were removed from their home and it's your fault that it happened, Israel. I'm not saying that's in any way okay. I think that's terrible. It's sad. But it's a far cry from being displaced or ethnically cleansed when you're in a hotel inside of an air-conditioned room. 
versus being displaced and marched down a street where you're barely surviving where they're bombing your family. You see how gross that is? But it says the time is now to act for the full implementation of the Security Council Resolution 1701, one of yours, UN, before Hezbollah drags Lebanon to war. This is on the 21st. This is on the 19th. So wait a minute, are they working for terrorists, Elon, or do you want them to adopt Resolution 1701? How does that work exactly? Does Hamas conduct these resolutions for you when you want them to? You see how dumb this is? And here's the point, and there's these fact checks down here where you're just, you know, adding to the point they're trying to claim that all oh, these people were displaced, but here's where really the truth comes into play. Well, not from I'll show you the actual article. But he says 1.4 million Gazans have been displaced without access to food, water, electricity, and fuel for two months. We all know where the UN's priority and resources should be going. This is pathetic. If you want to create a safe environment for your people, stop the genocide. That's right. But here's one article they link to, and here's the point. So all it shows you for the context is just his statement. But guess what? That's not the full context. But here's what it says. Israel could open second front in Lebanon, Defense Minister hints. And this is on the 6th. Now it's saying... Uh, where was it? Oh, damn it, I had this highlighted. Shoot. I know exactly where it was in the in the Wikipedia article, but it was just break. So here's the number he's simply saying. On Wednesday, the government would not encourage some 80,000 residents. Oh, yeah, this is important. I'll read it from the beginning. Despite increasing pressure from the U.S. to reign in the Gaza War, Israel is now suggesting forces could soon open a northern front. Don't forget. Gant himself, that's who we're talking about here, or Gallant, excuse me, I think, and Gantz as well, have threatened Beirut with the Gaza treatment. That's what they said. They said, we, what we're doing there, we can do in Beirut. They war, they're literally threatening genocide on civilian cities if they just don't do what they're told. But it says, speaking to mayors and municipal leaders from the north, Israel Defense Minister Gallant said on Wednesday the government would not encourage 80,000 residents evacuated from northern communities, occupied territories of Lebanon, to return before Hezbollah is driven back beyond the area. Okay, so quite a bit different than being displaced when your own government is keeping you safe inside of an area elsewhere while the area or the group that is trying to fight for its own territory back fights the government. It's just pathetic how you're trying to conflate that or trying to redirect outrage what they've been doing from the beginning back to people in Israel versus who you're currently murdering in Gaza. But this is what desperation looks like. And if you want to understand this, here is Israel's occupation of southern Lebanon. That's what we're talking about. It says the Israeli occupation of southern Lebanon began in 1985, an illegal occupation, and endured in two, and, and ended in 2000 as part of the South Lebanon conflict, but it didn't end. It said in 1982, Israel invaded Lebanon in response to a spat of attacks carried out from Lebanese territory by Palestinian militants, or that's what they would argue, triggering the 1982 Lebanon War, which they got destroyed. Subsequently, and it says the IDF seized large parts of Lebanon, including the capital of Beirut, amid the hostilities of the wider Lebanese war. Israel later withdrew from most of the occupied territories and in 1985, but retain control over these areas. That's a crime. You're not allowed to maintain control over occupied territories post-conflict. That's why Gaza's a crime. So my point is, here he is trying to go, but we're displaced. You're just pointing to another illegal occupation. I guess that's all you guys got. 
as he writes beneath this, when UN resolutions were passed to stop the genocide being committed by Israel, here's what Israel said. UN resolution is just a piece of paper. Can we not see their hypocrisy in real time? So when they give you a resolution against what you don't like, you go, well, we don't care. It's meaningless. But of course, when you want it, you go, UN, make them divide by that one. That's what he's doing right there. How It's very childish. PVT points out the same response. So the UN laws must be followed when it's settlers at risk. But for everything else, UN is Hamas and must be ignored. They get it. <laughs> and then he finishes by saying, Israel's allies are standing firmly by our right to win this war. This ends with the end of Hamas. And of course, one of their puppets over here, Dr. Or, I mean, a UK Deputy Prime Minister, we, we, uh, Oliver Dowden, we must eradicate Hamas now. So basically what they're saying is, we don't care about the Israelis. We want to we continue murdering all of Gaza, pretending we're going after Hamas. And even though all of our population's calling for our people home, we're not going to do that. Hashtag freedom. Well, as the point I made before, your friend points out, you're barely, you barely have nine allies in the entire world. Stop talking about the alternative universe you're living in. So what they keep doing, right? Like this. Standing firmly with our ally. No, it's not real. Or this illusion that every Jew in the world is now cowering somewhere because Hamas is around every corner. They're making up illusions everywhere. Or that anything pro-Palestine is anti-Jewish. Frankly, I think their clumsy narratives are why people are shaken free from this. It's insulting to your intelligence to think any of that makes sense. Not that there may be somebody who secretly hates Jews within a Palestinian protest, but to argue that anybody who protests for Palestine hates Jews is stupid. Broad stroking was always ignorant. We know that. But this lastly person writes, and most people of those countries hate Israel. And they're right. This is the illusion of the Abraham Accords and the, the supposed normalization. Egypt is currently one of their you know, supposed government allies, and even they're calling them out. But the vast majority of people in Egypt are aggressively anti-Israel. Same with most every one of these countries that are in support of them. Because they're simply trying to co-opt the governments like they have in the U.S. But they're realizing, quite frankly, that that doesn't work anymore because the peoples won't allow it. <laughs> now to finish, Simon from Florida points out a press conference from the WHO who simply re re reports it's beyond catastrophic from the ground in Gaza, from the, from the 21st. Medics are being abducted by Israel. Hospitals are being reduced to just hospice and first aid with no surgeons left. They're either being killed, abducted, or leaving because they're going to get killed or abducted. This is coming from the WHO, which I have no love for and do not blindly support or blindly trust. But it's interesting to see this rapid shift, isn't it? And I do believe it's catastrophic, and I do believe medics are being abducted by Israel. I think we can prove that. So just as always, it's in, in their interest to show you this right now, but it's still true. Sources are speaking with the Cuts Network are saying that Israel has apparently rejected an official Russian request after all of this to establish a field hospital in southern Gaza to assist in treating the wounded. You know, the place where they forced them all to go in the safe areas, which they're about to go invade and, and push into the river or into Egypt, which is what they're saying. Russia said, let us go into the southern area where they're all crowded in there with no food, no water, no medicine, and give them a field hospital. Not even a real hospital, just a quick setup tent field hospital to help people. Or surreptitiously do something else if you don't trust Russia. But the point is, they stated they want to build a hospital. Field hospital. Instead, 
And the Israel refused that. Instead, the response was to persuade Russia to assist in, guess what, the displacement of the Gaza residents to Egypt. You know, that completely fake conspiracy theory that we all know is about to happen by providing medical and humanitarian services on the Egyptian side of the border. So they said, no, set your tent up on Egypt because we're about to push them all over there. Russia rejected that. Now, this is reports from Cuts Network about what they said. So take it with a grain of salt. But I believe that is right because we already have the WikiLeaks plan or rather the leaked plan that WikiLeaks confirmed from the Israeli government. Every part of this plan has happened except the driving them into the Sinai Desert. We already showed you this was the plan. We're going to show you this the plan from before 2017, the decisive plan. This has been long there. They know this. They're executing it with the U.S. support. You know what? We also know that because they're already building and planning for what's going to go in their place. Look at this, guys. That's what that's what that's the that's the superimposition of what they're going to build in the destroyed areas they're talking about. Who is financing the illegal settlements in occupied Palestine? Freddie Pontone breaks this down. 776 European banks provided financial support to 51 companies. Think about how wide-reaching this is. And then realize how none of the peoples of the world's governments support any of this. Yet, 776 European banks, 51 companies, are involved with the illegal construction of illegal settlements. According to a study by Don't Buy Into Occupation, a Palestinian civil society. Well, and these are the groups that are now working to build them in Gaza. And by the way, not just Gaza. They just dropped leaflets in the West Bank. We knew this was coming. Israeli soldiers threw pamphlets over the city, issuing threats to residents of Jablia, the old city, tougher neighborhoods in the Gaza city, ordering them to evacuate promptly. These papers were thrown over Kalkia in the Northwest Bank. And they're telling them to evacuate. Now, you could argue it was an accident or a test to see what they did. But we know this is coming, guys. You don't just get rid of Gaza and expect the West Bank to remain compliant. They And just Jordan warned them. Jordan said, if you displace the West Bank, that means war. I think they're getting ready for that. Now, I'm, I'll leave you to read this for yourself. The bottom line is what we're discussing. This is this is a columnist for the, uh, what is this? Why, is that Ynet? Yeah, why not? And basically what he's outlining is the state of Israeli plan, which is exactly what we're talking about. They're basically telling you phase two is over. We're about to now initiate phase three. We're going to push into southern Israel, or excuse me, Gaza. We're not, and, and they're telling you point blank, we're not going to let them back into north. So just think about it for a second, guys. Where are they going to go? So they're creating the urgent need, which I guarantee the very supporters of Israel not for anybody else, are going to be the ones that suddenly step up and switch their narrative and go, yes, they are in danger. And here's the solution. We move them into Egypt because Israel's dangerous. Well, it's exactly what they want. I mark my words. You're going to see people that were up until this point acting like everything they did was right are going to suddenly shift into arguing we need to help these Palestinian people but because all the, the push will become it's a moral imperative to move them outside of this area. Even though that's the whole point. This is ethnic cleansing. It is displacement. It is collective punishment. Doing that is benefiting Israel for everything they've done. And understand, this is not because we want that. They don't want to be displaced again. They're telling people that. So, but they're telling you, 
We're about to push forward into the South. We're not going to let them back into the North. And then what? Annihilation or displacement. They will continue aerial assaults, ground raids aimed at killing Hamas, but they know they'll be killing fish in a barrel at this point. They know this. The world knows this. They just don't seem to care. And just in case you missed it, this, guys. Where Palestinian homes have been flattened by Israeli attacks. It's coming. Post says, wake up to a beach house. It's not a dream. We already showed you this map from the company that shows a number of lots in Gaza. It's not hard to see. Ask yourself how it's possible that the, you know, the Tuckers and the Fox and CNNs of the world haven't seen this. How is that possible? How is it possible that Biden hasn't talked about this or the governments of the, where is it? It's because they know about it, guys. It's public information. It's been publicly discussed. I've been screaming about it. It's on Al Jazeera. It's been talked about all over the internet. I promise you it's been posted. So ask yourself why these controlled mouthpieces don't ever talk about these kind of things until it's supposed to be talked about. Ask yourself that. I'm not pointing at anyone in particular when I say that. I know you know my opinions, but I'm not saying I know for sure any one of these people are. I'm just saying in that general concept, where are they are, why they're not the ones that come first and forward to talk about the things when they matter. Not after the fact where they can act like they're doing something. with. This is now. We're watching them get displaced. We're watching them get killed. We're even watching the corporate media finally be honest about that. And it's still happening. Stand up. Find the courage to speak about this honestly. Find the courage to be objective, nonpartisan. And save some lives. In hopes that we can actually find some awareness around this before we stumble into some kind of election that starts all over again. So thanks for tuning in today, guys. This story is so difficult. It really is so difficult because it's just such a constant struggle. It's a constant heartache to just, I mean, and that's got to, I mean, I almost feel guilty even saying that when I'm really, when we're watching these people live through like what we can't even fathom. I, we, I know we can't even really put ourselves in that position because we've never been there. Not knowing where you're going to eat meal to meal, whether you're going to, children will die in the night from starvation or thirst or whether you'll be bombed on the way to the place you're told is safe. That's, by the way, coming off the heels of 75 years of brutal occupation where your families and families before you have been killed as well. Imagine living through that and then being called a terrorist. They deserve more than that. Humans deserve more than that. Stand up. Fight for what you believe is right. If you want to help support this platform, guys, there's lots of ways to do so down in the show notes. We need your help because we're fighting for that change every single day. And tomorrow, tomorrow, have a very big thing coming out tomorrow. I'll probably just leave it like that. Just who knows why, just in case. But tune in tomorrow. There's going to be a very important show tomorrow. And it's going to be powerful. And I do believe it's going to reignite a conversation that needs to be reignited. So don't miss it. It'll be in the morning tomorrow. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.